You are listening to the Thundercling Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kale's walk around on stilts. It's fucked up. Hey! Hi. Hi, Feedy. Hey, wait, thanks Thanks for being here on this totally normal episode. Yeah, to- everything's going, normal. Nothing is going on. Everything's fine. Coronavirus is gone. Oh, it's totally it's gone. gone. Racism is solved. Racism. <laughs> Police brutality. Gone. Done. I, I don't think it ever really existed anyway. <laughs> you know? Come on. You sick fuck. Just kidding. We, I, I had a band in college. Yeah. And the first thing I say at the beginning of the show that we recorded for a CD is fuck the police. Really? Yeah. If you're a police officer listening, that may or may not apply to you. <laughs> How'd you guys record that? You guys were like a Pearl Jam band. What? You we're in a like- Pearl Jam band. No. <laughs> we recorded on a Tascam 404 fucking four track back in 1992. 1990- yeah. Six, dude. Okay. Before you were even born. That's not true. I was four years old. Before you had cognizance. That's probably fair. <laughs> that would be late realization of cognizance. Okay, let's get to it. You know one thing that I think is kind of funny? What? I mean, nothing Nothing is funny that's happening right now, but this is ironic and striking that three months ago, people were like, oh, I'm going to take photos of myself climbing in isolation on my cabinets. This is so much fun. I'm going to learn how to bake sourdough bread. Oh, let's share recipes. I'm going to, and now just a couple months later, they thought most people thought, well, this is how the, this is how the pandemic is going to go. We're just going to climb on furniture and have fun little social media things and learn how to bake sourdough bread, blibbity blop. And now people just six weeks later are getting shot in the back with pepper balls and peacefully protesting against dude police the, brutality. the amount of story arcs that have happened so far in 2020 has condensed time and it feels like what would have been like a five-year period of news is now happening so compact and i feel like you can't like it's the perfect it's the perfect storm of coronavirus just sort of made everyone on edge pent-up feelings, emotions, and then you have the disgusting acts perpetrated by the police on the black community, and it just was a perfect storm of, like, people are fucking done with this bullshit. Oh, man. I I feel like everybody was so stressed out and at a fever pitch anyway. Yeah. And then with Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George George Floyd, Floyd, and like countless others. Back to back, and countless, countless others. It was just a fucking it was powder unbelievable, cake. man. And it was so, it's so necessary. Um, it finally feels like this time might be a little bit different. I certainly hope so. I mean, obviously, it's not, it's not going to be magically solved. <laughs> we choked. No, no. It's going to take a long, radical, long to extreme change. And uh, the only way that's going to keep happening is if people keep supporting the movement. And, uh, you know, we all got to do our part to make sure that if you want this change to happen, you can't just 
stop participating when you feel like the trend is is moved on like no. we have in the past i think we all we're all a little guilty of that you know this isn't the first time we've seen this kind of shit happening and it's always been like that initial wave of like i can't believe that happens wow like that's fucked up and then it just kind of goes back to like well that's just what happens you like, just forget this, yeah being an ally you know i'm a white guy i'm a privileged white guy you are not. So I'm not going to talk too much on this because it's not my place. But one thing I will say is that allyship, it's so easy to forget that you need to be an ally and use your voice and use your pocketbook yeah. and use your ability to um, advocate when the chanting stops yeah. and when the protest stops. So I, my great hope is that this has been such a, a visceral time of outrage and sorrow that white people, specifically in America, once people stop chaining Black Lives Matter, that it <clears throat> the systemic racism and inequality in our society doesn't just fade back into the privileged mindset of white people because, I mean, it certainly doesn't for anybody else. Yeah. But we... We're not going to talk a whole lot about this. Yeah. Because there's I'm we have heard what everybody has said and I for one am listening and reading and donating and that's what I'm doing right now. It's not my time to talk. And we'll be for sure uh linking some uh accounts, uh websites, lists for more information on how to you can be a more active participant. Particip- participant participant um in all of this uh i mean yeah, yeah i think I, I can do better too i mean we can all everybody can do better and there's a lot of resources climbing specifically that yeah. you can donate to and um heighten the volume of the voices talking like melanin base camp and brown girls climb and afro outdoors and a host of others yeah so if you want to keep your money and your advocacy in the climbing community, if that's where you feel you want to do it, there's great outlets. And if not, of course, there's a million others. I, I definitely feel like the place where all of us can have the most impact is um, dealing with dealing with our, our community, like the, the communities that we're a part of, you know? Like yes. Those are the people that you can directly have an impact on. It's impo- it's It's almost impossible to like have an internet debate with someone and oh, feel like any, anything happened. But uh, if someone you know holds beliefs that you that are you just know are racist or or just fucking biased, I don't know, biased. Or bigoted or defi- yeah. a lot of the conver- – this is the number one thing I, I have personally been yeah. doing has been having conversations. Like, you know, my mom's a 72-year-old woman from Iowa and she has – I mean, I don't want to throw my mom under the bus, but Sorry. I mean, she has, she, she has her, you know, people from that generation have their challenges. So I've had a ton of conversations with her and a ton with some other acquaintances that uh, have some challenging opinions. And I, it's like, um, if I hear fucking white lives matter or all, <laughs> all, lives, <laughs> all lives matter one more time, I'm gonna fucking break a table over somebody. Like, that's what I've been getting in discussions about like what compels you when you hear somebody say oh my god uh, black lives matter what compels you (laughs) to retort with well all lives matter 
And that is the exact question yeah. I've asked a, I, a number of people that I've been in contact with. It's like, why is that? So it's like this defensive posture yes. that white people have. Like, oh, I have black friends. I'm not racist. The people of color are in my life. It's like, fucking, that does no good. You're not being truthful with yourself. We all have... Implicit biases, yeah. Yeah, that we all have to deal with. Um, so that's what I've been doing a lot yeah. is just conversations. And who knows if it does any good, but at least it's making people uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, and we... I mean, this this whole... The social... The world news, what's going on in the world, it definitely, I think... It, influence the way this episode went you know for the majority of this episode yeah. we definitely geek out with our awesome guest jamie emerson who we'll talk a little bit more about in a second yeah but it's definitely tinted as well by talking about what are problems in the climbing community uh and we try to figure out ways we talk about ways we can potentially solve them and then we also obviously talk about the fact that climbing is inherently such a privileged sport <laughs> and, yeah and uh yeah i mean hopefully you know, I hope you guys can handle <laughs> handle this. It's not like... Well, the cool... Th what we're going to offer, we're not going to do any preaching and it, it's not our place to... This is a climbing podcast. We're not going to go to... Although you guys know that, at least I'll speak for myself, I'm hyper, hyper political. I'm very involved with it. But this is not our court other than to be an ally. We're not here to um, proselytize about the solutions we're just here to help enact solutions when necessary but you brought up a really good point Fidi. so we were going to say at the beginning of this podcast to you guys um jamie emerson is called the sheriff for a reason <laughs> like he is a very opinionated guy and i love it i yes. love it for him. he's not afraid to say anything and also when he talks about a problem in the climbing community, he offers a solution. Yes. So it isn't just bitching and moaning. No. But there's a lot of that going yeah, on. Yeah, we in bitch it. a lot. And Feedy brought up the point that he's like, uh, there's so many stark problems rising to the surface in our society right now, like in, tw in 2020. They just keep cropping up, whether it be healthcare or inequality or government response to <laughs> tragedies or police brutality, or racism, systemic yeah. racism oh. in our society. Like, we're all struggling with all these things, and I think subconsciously, Fidi thinks that we must have been thinking about that because we talk about a lot of problems and hurdles we see in climbing. Not necessarily they're related not, to those issues. Yes, and they're definitely, in the grand scheme of things, super stupid. Small potatoes. Small potatoes, and we talk about that too. Um, uh, and then we do address the protest, the, the the protests and, and what's happening in our country. We recorded this about a week ago. Yeah. So it was right in the height of, I mean, basically the police force proving yeah. that they're a fucking brutal, um, just, oh, I, I, don't, Honestly, I don't know how to describe it. Just a bunch of a fucking people who scream and yell and shoot first. Yes. I mean, if you, if you thought police brutality didn't exist or you thought it was rare, Watching the protests for the last 15 days and seeing people lose their eyes from rubber bullets that police are supposed to shoot at the ground and have them bounce up into people and uh, cop cars driving by and opening the door to push down a protester, cop cars trying to drive over protesters. Like it's a fucking big problem here in Denver too, yeah. for sure. 
when I first moved to Denver in the early 2000s, there was a, just an absolute spate of police shootings. Mm-hmm. White people, brown people, black people, Asian Americans didn't make any difference. Cops were just going to fucking shoot you in the early 2000s. In Dude, Denver. I mean, uh, I, yeah, one of my uh, high school classmates who was going to school at CU, Boulder, um, he was a really bright kid, uh-huh. big part of this like uh, astro. I think he like I don't know. He was doing some fancy ass physics bullshit. All right, really. He's a rocket sur- rocket surgeon. Yes. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I think that's a technical um, name. And I don't know. He was experimenting with psychedelics, like I have, you have, a lot of people I know have. Yes. And was having a bad trip, and he was freaking out, and his friends, who were probably also under the influence, called the cops because they were panicking. They weren't sure what to do. The cops came and they fucking murdered him. What? And um, and he was a you know he was like, it's just fucking crazy, man. I don't know. Like he all he needed, like this guy was not big. This guy was not. Um. I don't know. Like sure, he was tweaking out. He's freaking out. He was having a bad trip and um. But he did not. Nothing he did warranted getting shot and well, killed. This is. I mean, we we shouldn't go into this, but this is a huge problem with um, the police force in our nation is that they're expected to be counselors. So everybody's talking about defund the police right now, and I agree that we should defund their military weaponry. Like that is yeah. fucking nuts that police can drive like troop carriers and fucking basically tanks around our city streets. That makes me sick. They're in body armor with assault rifles in a, in a fucking protest. Are you kidding me? But another thing is that we should probably give more funding to uh, law enforcement, not necessarily necessarily police, but fucking build a squad that goes and deals with people with mental issues or Mm -hmm. psychological trauma. And you know, that's a been a, I mean, that's a huge part of what, I think the the statement defund police is a little. It's really it, nuanced when you get into it. Yes, exactly. It's not. It's not just that. It means like, hey, why don't we actually diversify what a police officer is? Have yeah. m- multiple roles. Increase, increase the fucking amount of time it takes to be a police officer. I mean, I've, I'm not the only one who's seen all those posts about how it takes longer to become like a hair hairstylist than to become a police officer. Culinary school. And then yeah. they're expected to handle situations where you have someone who's psycholo- undergoing psychological distress. And for them, their training, uh, it, it doesn't prep them for that. Like it's their response- six months, six months of training. How yeah. could they be prepared to handle that? Yeah. And I mean, it's just such a, I mean, we said we want to get into politics here, right? So maybe let's just, let's just say that it's extremely complicated and, um, but something has to change and people are, people are being murdered. Um, and their, their murders are going on, um, <laughs> justice is not being served. Yeah. Um, so. So we'll end it. We'll end that part there. And if you guys have any feedback, anybody you'd yeah. like to have us talk to, any issues you would like to um, see us investigate more with a more fulsome eye, get a hold of us. But we're not going to dig too deep into it right now. Like I said, what this okay? So what this interview with Jamie Emerson is going to be is a shameless excuse for you to escape from the news cycle for two and a half hours. 
like we get into the weeds in climbing and it was a the first thing i said when jamie came over and i really fucking regret it was like hey man i'm not super motivated to do this and he's like oh that's not what i meant you know there's so much more on everybody's mind right now than well, the yeah. privileged act of yeah. you know talking us about being climbing. able to decompress from all this by going climbing. <sighs> but man, after that interview, after our chat was over, I felt so I felt like a million pounds had been lifted off me just just for an evening. Mm-hmm. So we hope that um, Jamie can do that for you guys too. Now let's talk about Jamie Emerson a little bit. Who yeah. is who is Jamie Emerson? Well, he's. Badass climber. Badass v climber. Four, I think he's yep. climbed V14. He's climbed V14. Um, he's a level four route setter. He set three World Cups before. Badass route setter. A prolific developer. A bunch of boulders that you see Dave Graham, Daniel Woods putting up the FA on. Jamie was the one who found those boulders and actually shared them. He's written the guidebook for Rocky Mountain, Link, uh, the Alpine climbing around here. He's actually working on the next one. Uh, so this guy just, he is a figurehead in the climb, the Colorado climbing community and just he loves climbing a lot and so it was really fun to talk <laughs> yeah. to someone like that who also just he knows he literally knows every like he knows all the people that I look up to you know he knows everybody Everyone, so um i mean he's one of the great first ascensionists in the rocky mountain region in the history of climbing he also developed one of my favorite places or contributed a lot to the development of roy Roy, yeah. Um, and uh, so that's, I'm just fascinated by the fact that, you know, he was one of the first people outside of the group that found those boulders to be able to go there and explore. Yep. So we talked about that. Canyon, Rocky Mountain National Park, Mount Evans, Mount Lincoln, a bunch of stuff in Wyoming, in the uh, Wind Rivers. Like, dude, he's developed more shit than you can even imagine. But so we get into the weeds with him. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Take it for what it is, a brief reprieve from the fucking brutal, brutal news cycle right now. Like, give yourself a chance to just a little break. Yeah. Because that's what it's going to be. And then get back into it. <laughs> and then get straight. Yeah. Get straight. Take All it. Right. Take one evening off. All right, guys. Right. On to JB. Hopefully you like it. We'll see I can hear you now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I listened to this uh, interview on NPR, and they asked people, who's the most interesting person that you know? And then they would go interview that person. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Dave Graham is Dave the Graham. most interesting person that I know. Like, he is and, – and that put that on film and to listen the way to, – to be able to listen to the way his brain works yeah. is, like, gold. Yeah. It's absolute gold. I don't know why people don't film him because he's doing interesting things. But does it have something to do with the island and how the island, like, they tried to, like, Mellow is the new island, right? Right. Yeah. And then the island just kind of, like, fucking disappeared. And it was after that that he didn't appear in climbing films anymore. Right. The, so the island is Dave's, like, brainchild to try to, like, make this cool climbing thing. And I think he was on to something. I think Me too. But he had, like, cool design. <sighs> he had Sander design and mm. there is some legal document somewhere that i am part owner of the island <laughs> whoa <laughs> like it's like myself dave yeah. sander and maybe chad probably chad yeah chad. So i i mean this is like 10 years ago but um yeah the, sander had the amazing graphic design mm-hmm. dave had the idea of b- basically doing a new 8a that was like videos yes 
database of climbs and blog. He was like, Jamie, I want you to write blog posts about like yeah. things that are going on in climbing. And ultimately I think it's just like, he's just too obsessed with climbing. Yeah. He would say things like, um, <laughs> I work like, I would be like, Dave, you need to sit down and work on this. <laughs> like you need to like, this is a job to start a business and you need to yeah. spend like eight to 10 hours a day at least developing the yeah. business like sitting down and and like thinking about what yeah. you want the island to be not climbing not climbing <laughs> and that means you can't go to wild basin and put up new boulder problems yeah and he would be like you don't know what you're doing talking about Dude. and like this is ridiculous i can't believe it i, I think about work 24 7 and ah, just there's like there's, yell and scream and, and and i was like but it's not going to happen yeah and you could do it you you could have a gym you know, there's all these, you could have the Dave Graham climbing yes, center Dave Graham. and have it be the island and it would be super cool. And you could do the website and you could sell merchandise. And he, I mean, it was there. I thought, dude, but it just, it totally fizzled. It just kind of never took off. Yeah. The, the, I feel oh, like the epitome, so well. the epitome of that too is when the island volume one released mm -hmm. or like the footage in that film is from like 2007 to 2009 <laughs> and it came out in 2014 <laughs> like right. seven years ago so and then he's and then they were gonna release a volume two and it's like think about all that lost footage just sitting like it's just sitting there just hundreds of hours it's sitting on chad's filmed. computer i guarantee it yeah. right now chad's probably like oh yeah i could go get that it's like right here <laughs> in the basement gotta go climbing though yeah i mean i mean ultimately dave is just a climber and he's just obsessed he always has been yeah like more so than almost anyone yeah and that's what he does best and that's what he wants to do and it was an amazing idea I wish it could have been executed because I think it could have been something really yeah. incredible. And I think it was also at the time we were coming from Prana and like this real hippie culture from climbing. Uh -huh. And it was a real shift. Yeah. Like it was like modern. There were like, you know, Dave's always been influenced by like techno music and that kind of, those kind of like images that, mm -hmm. that you see and i think he really brought that into climbing and it was a big shift it was totally different it wasn't chris sharma oh yeah we're hanging out in arkansas and i just Stars go for a let go before big i jug to big uh, jug and i'm pretty tired but i'm gonna try it i guess yeah <laughs> and you know chris is a great guy no no you know that's, oh for he's, sure he's, he's doing his own thing I mean, we, yeah but Dave did something different and Dave like owned it. And that was awesome. And I always think that he's great when he just leans into him being Dave and he yeah. did that. It just, there was no follow through. Yeah. I don't think, I just don't think he's interested in being part of the public sphere beyond like, this is what I'm climbing. Right. He doesn't just really want to be a business owner, which is what you would have to be as a business owner. Yeah. And he wants to just be a climber, which is what he does. Amazing. I mean, yes. I really don't think that he, I know that people think he's a legend, but I don't think they get that he gets the real credit that he deserves. Yeah. Because he is a genius that he, his ability to think outside the box yeah. is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I would go to boulders with him because I climbed with him for a long time and yeah. I would go and I'd be like, I am going to outsmart Dave. I am going to think of every possible. <laughs> yeah. I'm a root setter. I'm going to think of every yeah. single possibility of beta that he can come up with. And he would inevitably do something. I was like, I, I could, I literally couldn't imagine that, that beta. And then yeah. that would he's like, that's the only way I have to do it <laughs> that way. way. I mean, his progeny in that aspect is Adamandra, right? They both use the oddest body right. positions to get themselves up around. Like the way Dave Graham uses his legs is fucking 
bonkers. Nobody else does that. I mean, Andra is the only other person that comes close to like the creativity with well, which he uses his body. I feel like he's the epitome of, uh, you know, people are always like, it's kind of good to like start off climbing, not super physically strong. Cause then you're forced to, <laughs> totally, to yeah. like solve beta and figure out beta. I feel like Dave Graham is the epitome of that pathway, <laughs> that branch of climbing. Yeah. I'm not like Chris. I can't do one or Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he never filled out either. Dave Graham. No, never fucking filled out. It'd be too bad. I have a story about Graham, about the way his mind works. Mm-hmm. We interviewed him for climb talk. Mm-hmm. at the outlook hotel in boulder like yeah, him I remember and this, totally kelly cordis <laughs> and a mm-hmm. bunch of people and he fucking i asked him one question and for 15 minutes <laughs> it was something about development and then he started talking about deforestation and then he's and then like 12 minutes later he's talking about red bull and how red bull is like taking over the world and causing deforestation uh-huh. it was like fucking 15 minutes Right. And that was like his allotted time. And we were done. And he fielded one question <laughs> and just like put Wait. his head down and sprinted to the finish line. Wasn't it that was so bizarre? Wasn't that the, the time where Bob Horn also held like crickets? Bob Horan <laughs> had in the back had a telephone and, or had a cell phone. And on his phone, he had a little sound that would make like crickets chirping, which means like nobody's paying attention or right. listening. And he fucking held it above his head. At the back of like the area we were doing the interviews, the back of the crowd, and just turned his volume all the way up. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know who it was at the time. Like, who's that fucking psychopath? Bob Horan. It's like trolling Dave Graham right now. (laughs) And it was Bob Horan. That's, I mean, to be honest, when I hear stories like that, I'm like, that's, we need that in climbing. Like, more more real characters asserting themselves in their own way that's the thing that's amazing about dave is that he's such a character he's so interesting and he just asserts himself he's he leans into his daveness in a way that like no one like you know it's dave when you're talking to him or even when you can see a dave graham boulder problem or the way he develops bouldering areas this is a person that developed chaos canyon when he was 17 years old Mm. what 17 year old is out there developing an area that will become or is as good as chaos canyon and None. off the map for a number of years too. Right. You know, like doing it on his own. Right. While still, you know, just crushing all over the planet. At the time, the hardest boulder problems were like the Dominator in Yosemite, Diaphanous Sea in Waco Tanks, mm-hmm. Wright Martini, like Crown of Aragorn. Those were the hardest boulder problems. And Dave's like, yeah, this is V14. Everyone's yes. like, who's this kid? Wait, hold on. Fred Nicole's the only one. He did Esperanza in Waco in 1996 or whatever, yeah. 1998. No one else climbs that hard. And Dave's like, yeah, it's V14, you know? And <laughs> God, it was, I mean, a yeah. lot of, maybe some of them came down a little bit, but ultimately. Not many of Graham's stuff. Right. Not many Things like Freshly Squeezed, he called V, he did it in an hour. He called it V11. And, and now, now it's, it's like, like V12, hard, hard V12 yeah. or V13. Wow. He's like, I don't know, V10 or V11. We should talk about this sport needing more characters. You've been climbing for what, I started 25 climbing, years? So I started climbing, climbing in 96. And bef- I mean, I always say that's like when I really started like as a climber uh-huh. with climbing shoes, going out to climbing yeah. areas to like try boulder problems. 
when I was a kid, I was about 12 years old. I went to Canada with my dad on a fishing trip and there were all kinds of little rock outcrops and we were just scrambling around. Did you guys go to the border waters? The boundary, boundary uh, waters, waters yeah, in Northern Minnesota. We were in North of Michigan. Okay. Like North of Sault Ste. Marie. Um, and I started to try to climb a rock face, not knowing <laughs> anything, just like I'm going to yeah, try to climb this rock climb face. This I didn't do it. I came back a couple days later and climbed it. Whoa. And so I'm always like my first rock climbing experience was a, was a first problem, first ascent. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was like, I mean, I would not say that I've been climbing since 1985 or whenever I did yeah. that, but I feel like it was in some ways I was like born to be a climber. Like yeah, it was just, just in me to do that. Yeah. And wow, that's crazy. So yeah, Fred, I mean, I don't know, 96 in Michigan started Well, climbing. one of the things that like, if you started climbing at that time, we were talking about characters mm -hmm. is like how vastly the landscape has changed on the character or the renegade or the rebel or the goofball aspect. It's so homogenized now. It's, and so like watered down and kind of well, mil milk toast in many ways. Cause it's, you know, more corporate. And, and people are afraid to uh, get in trouble. Like, yeah being a character you know or being yourselves you can increase the likelihood that like you get i mean po probably rightfully so some like well yeah i mean you gotta, yeah obviously keep your fucking mouth right you know <laughs> like say the right things but you can still but be everyone's, a character you know, everyone's trying to be a little vanilla yeah it's pretty fucking vanilla in i mean climbing right one now. of the things that you know chad and i have been friends for a long greedy have been yeah. friends and i for a long time it's been tumultuous we've had our ons and offs yeah. But I, one of the things I always respect about Chad is that he is his own person. He's out there developing boulders. Totally. And he's just a character. And I think the same about Faust. I think she's yeah. great because she's just interesting, different, something. It's not the same homogenized nonsense of like, I'm so psyched and I love climbing. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree I love climbing with you. too. And I think they love climbing as well, but they have a way to present it that's interesting it's different it's like a different approach it doesn't have to be it's clearly they're doing their own thing not influenced by what everyone else is doing and yeah, that to me is that's it it's like thank god it's such a breath of fresh air yes we it's don't, not tangential to what other people are doing specifically that crew like the dave graham crew the isabel the chad they are entirely on their own planet. And it's amazing. And I, I, yeah, I, I always love, love that about Chad. He's always, he's just, he's an artist. He reads, he like, he's just doing his own thing and climbing is a part of that. And yeah. that's great. We, the, the internet has just, and especially Instagram, I feel like has just flattened the culture. completely. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Just hashtag sponsorships, blah, blah, blah. Partially because of sponsorship, but I also think people are, like you said, Feedy, they're scared to m make a wave. They're scared to put themselves out there. I would put myself out there and then people, I've been accosted at the crag before yeah. and that's not fun. Someone's mad because I called them out or said something about them that they didn't like or had an opinion that they didn't like and they really came after me and I'm like, I, I just want to go climbing. I don't want to... That's, 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 a, yeah, that's like social media is the feedback is immediate and super widespread, right? Like, for example, if we go back to the big up films, mm -hmm. when Rampage came out, there was no way to directly message Chris Sharon and be like, hey man, I really didn't appreciate blah, 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 <laughs> right. you know? And now it's like anything you do is immediately seen by thousands of eyes. And no matter what you do, there's going to be a percentage of those people who just want to pick a bone. And yeah. that's, it's hard. It's like annoying. People are, a lot of people are angry and I feel like the internet brings out like one thing that I know that I've kind of discovered when running B3 was that 
there were maybe there'd be a hundred people that would uh-huh. be like, I totally agree with everything you say. It makes perfect sense. And four people are like raging. Yeah. But those hundred people aren't going to say anything. They're just yeah. like, yeah, just it makes quiet. sense. Yeah, it makes sure. sense. I get it. And the four people that are raging are like, I'm sitting down at the computer right now and I'm going to bang <laughs> out a four page comment that is like, screw you and you're the worst and blah, 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 blah. And that's what comes up. And I feel like you see a lot of that on social media where people are they're like going to get on, everyone's going to get on their soapbox and everyone's going to rant about. And so you just become, so then it's like the response to that is then, well, I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything that's going to yeah, ruffle any feathers. Yeah, exactly. And so people don't. And also these sponsorships and they're becoming more lucrative. And so people are, I'm sure there are more specific contracts about what people can say and what they can't say yeah. and what kind of image we want to portray, you know, if I was a brand manager and I ran 510 or Friction Labs or whoever, I'd be like, this is what the image we're trying to portray. I'd want them to portray a specific image. So I understand. But I think. Yeah. So your message is cogent through right. your athletes. You know what I mean? Totally. You don't want somebody who has like a, a disparate message like using Friction Labs. Right. Or so that- someone makes a snarky remark about a ranger that they ran into. That's not going to bode well for the selling product, you know. But yeah. I think. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big skateboarder, but I, I feel like skateboarding has retained some of the original culture and it encouraged this, this like we have wanted characters and people mm-hmm. are weird and different and unique. We have a diverse culture of people. Not everyone is wearing the same outfit. Not everyone is saying the exact same things. Not everyone is going to the same climbing areas to climb the same boulders. Yeah. There are so many incredible places out there that have not been touched yeah. and have not been explored because everyone's got to go do whatever in red rocks. Yeah. And it's like, there are, I I could name a hundred places that are just waiting that are unique, different rock. It's like, where's the person who's the artist who wants to explore different rock types that just says, I want to go to Baffin Island and explore a landscape with a different rock that no one's ever discovered before. But it's like, you guys have all the resources to go do this, go do it. But no one, no one does. They there's just some, go. There's some. Hunter Damiani, right. for example, he's out there doing his own thing. Uh, he's a total character, putting up yes. first ascents in new places. I listened to his podcast. I thought it was amazing. It really shines a yeah, bright Hunter's light a- on his true character, I oh feel like. Oh, my God. And that is not a put on. That's exactly yeah. who oh, he is. Right. That was so fucking refreshing. Right. That was the most one of the most refreshing interviews we've ever done. Yeah, it was really fun. I walked out of there just like, man, it is nice to meet just like a fucking pure human right who's unfiltered and will tell you whatever you want to ask about him he's not trying to hide anything yeah and will that guidebook come out Mm, Uh, we'll see (laughs) i don't know know. i told him i will help him as much as i can you know he seems to be putting his head down on it he does that is a gigantic project and he keeps he he was he maybe mentioned to me or maybe said in the podcast that he's like trying to rope in more and more areas and I was like man you that's just like four more months five more months yeah, yeah. Just, it, yeah. it just adds up Complete really quick Colorado guidebook right everywhere All how was area. your guidebook experience when in, you that came out in 2011 mm-hmm. and that must have been like one of the most highly anticipated guidebooks in Colorado history like climbers finally being able to get the beta for Evans and. Yeah. You know what I mean? RMNP. How was that whole experience for you? Well, if you remember, we were speaking about Bob Horan <laughs> earlier. Oh, yes. He wrote the first guidebook to Rocky Mountain National Park bouldering. Oh. 
the Colorado, the Boulder, Colorado bouldering the Falcon, one? Oh, Colorado Lord. bouldering guidebook, which is a total disaster. Worst guidebook I've ever read. And so part of me writing the guidebook that I wrote was it was as serving a correction for mm-hmm. that guidebook to yeah. get the accurate, as someone who had been there almost from day one, to get the accurate information out to say, hey, this is from the people who have done it. I was there for most of it. Chad was there for all of it. Dave was there for all of it. And they were integral in yeah. writing the guidebook. So it's yes. having their voices. What's the inside story of how somebody can fuck up a guidebook <laughs> to such an extreme level? Now, I'm not trying to impugn his character yeah. or his personal life. I'm saying he created a guidebook that is riddled with mistakes, with inaccuracies, yes. right? Absolutely riddled. Like if you want to go to an area, you're going to end up at, at a different area on a different problem, right? How does that happen? You you've written a guidebook. How could <laughs> how could you foresee yourself making those kinds of errors? I think one of the most important things about being a guidebook is listening, is reaching out to as many people as yeah. you can, even people who may seem curmudgeonly. Yes, um, because I certainly talk to people. Um, I won't name names, but I reached out to someone recently or someone reached out to me and said, I don't like that you're doing this. And the I said, second edition. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I said, this is why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. This is, these are the reasons why I'm doing the guidebook. And then he said, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that you would have thought that about <laughs> what you're doing. And we can go into this, but yes, I really want to go into this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I then said, Hey, I really appreciate reaching out. Would you like to be involved? I'd like to get you your voice in here because you were one of the earlier developers. And he was like, yeah, I would actually. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> Fucking great. Excellent. What were your reasons that shocked him? So I think one of the most important things a guidebook, it might be the most important thing a guidebook can do, especially in Colorado is, or one of the things that I would say my guidebook is trying to do is establish a real relationship with the rangers and the land use managers. You've been a proponent for that day one. We are not in like, so I spend a lot of time developing areas and I'm often in a place where there's a handful of people. And at that point, it doesn't, necessarily mean that you need to get in touch with the rangers it's okay if you're just a couple people in a place where no one else is visiting right i don't think that necessitates reaching out to the rangers and having a sit down message but if you are going to there's our the word is out about rocky mountain national park and mount evans lincoln mm-hmm. lake there's idea that these are secret in some way i mean no no absolutely every, not anyone who's on instagram who's following who's on the internet mountain project they're all there the information is there so let's try to take the guidebook and I'll sit down with the ranger. I'll get to know the ranger. We'll have conversations. We'll have multiple conversations. I will talk to him. What do you want out of the guidebook? How can I facilitate what you want climbers, how you want climbers to behave? And like, we can put that down as a unified front in the guidebook and say, this is from, maybe I don't, maybe I have some authority, but the ranger has the authority because he, he's managing the land. So we're coming like I'm the one who reached out, who cared enough to reach out to the ranger. So we're coming together and saying, this is how you should behave on these areas. Mm-hmm. And the ranger at Mount Evans has said, you're the only one that's ever talked to me about this. It means the world to me that someone cares. And if someone is interested and someone will listen to what I'm saying is important for Lincoln Lake. And I'm saying is important for area A and you're going to put it down. And I'm like, I will put down whatever you want in the guidebook. Right. So let's work on this together. Yeah. And then now we have something. And, 
you know, I worked with Andrea CK, who's great, amazing mm-hmm. person. She really took the lead on organizing the Lincoln Lake cleanup. Yes, that was amazing. First Lincoln yeah. Lake cleanup. And that's a direct result of the guidebook. My relationship with Ralph and my relationship with Andrea, that is an amazing thing. And Ralph takes notice. He's like, the climbers care. I know that not every climber cares. I know that people stash pads. I know it's not perfect, but it's amazing to me to yeah. know that there is a group of people that do care. Right. And that is a direct result of the guidebook. And to me, that's the the biggest achievement yeah. the guidebook can make is like helping to ensure the access for an area like Lincoln Lake for years to come. Yeah, such a fragile area, you know. Totally. And I mean, there's no parking, you know, there's two trails in and out. Fuck. So but one, that thing yeah, wasn't secret when it was called Wolverine Land. You know what I mean? That wasn't secret in 2000, whatever, 12? So, yeah, a couple things. Number one, uh, in regards to the parking issue. Yeah. So I've actually walked the entire road uh-huh. counting parking spots, measuring off counting spots, car- parking spots. And there's like 156 parking spots if you walk if you're from like to walk a, little bit more. a half a mile mm-hmm. from beyond. Oh, the beyond. Last okay. parking, yeah, and then to the parking, and then all the way around the horseshoe, and then a half a mile beyond that. Which a half a mile on the road is like ten minutes. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, not long. And so there's, yeah, there's not a ton of parking at the best parking spots. Yeah, but if you're willing to. I mean, if you're willing to go to Lincoln Lake, I would hope that walking <laughs> down a paved road yeah, for, for five or ten minutes, dude, that hike is. I love that hike. Is it breaks okay? Oh. And so that's and R- Ralph said the same thing. You know, I said a lot of climbers are vocalizing this concern about parking at Lincoln Lake, and he said that is the least of my worries. There's plenty of parking, and I said, yeah, I walked. You know, I. Yeah. He's like, yeah, there's it, there's a big parking at the end of the horseshoe. There's probably 15 spots for cars there. He's like, we have 500 cars at the Beerstat Lake Trailhead or the Be- Mount Beerstat Trailhead. It's a 14er. It's like one of the easiest 14ers you can hike. Done he's it. like, that is a huge concern of mine. That is what I, he's like, Lincoln Lake is like pretty much off my radar for parking. I don't really care. It's wow. totally fine. The Beerstat Lake is a problem or the Beerstat Mountain is a problem. It's just, it's overrun. Yeah. It's totally overrun. Like from opening day to like when the snow hits, Beerstat's got like, a thousand people on it every weekend day. Right. Another thing I would At like least. to to address, since we're talking yeah, about yeah, the Mount yeah. Evans Wilderness, uh, part of Guanella Pass bouldering is yeah. in the Mount Evans Wilderness. If you look closely at the boundaries, mm-hmm. and one of the key boulders that is included in that boundary is the Love Matters Boulder. Ah. And the Love Matters Boulder was, as you both probably know, uh-huh. dramatically excavated. Yeah. Yes. Glued. Um. The rangers are aware of this, you know, and it's like really inappropriate behavior for a wilderness area. Like that's a, in a wilderness area. I mean, I agree a hundred percent. And we have to, you know, if we're like, we're just not sneaking around anymore. Like it's yeah. 2001. We're in a front Spotlight, range community yeah. where there are 20 gyms in the front range or whatever. There are thousands of people climbing. We have to take responsibility. I don't, I get it. <sighs> I want to just whatever, but it, that's it's gonna just lead to a disaster because we don't have any kind of relationship with the with the land managers. But if they know that we care, then we have a di- we have a way to to have a dialogue. How do you mitigate the the? I know this is kind of like a rote conversation and mm-hmm. maybe boring to some people to talk to say what I'm about to say. But how do you mitigate the pad stashing? Because pad stashing and maybe you do it, and I'm just gonna say that it makes me irate. Like mm-hmm. it just, it's fucking, it's it, what it is, is it's two f- sets of rules for two different people. If you're fucking weak and a punter, 
you know, and you follow the rules, okay, good for you. But if you're super strong and you're doing these dangerous things and you don't want to carry in your eight crash pads, well, then you get a different set of rules. You're a professional. You can hide your pads. What are your feelings on that, dude? It, it, it drives me up a loop and the Lincoln Lake cleanup was like a flashpoint for that. Because they pulled out a lot of pads. They pulled out a lot of pads. Uh, so number one, I would say every area is different. Every yeah. climbing area is different. Yeah. Every land area is different. I've been to places in Europe, for example, where they stash pads. Yeah. I don't fully understand the rules there. Maybe it's okay. I've been if to places- it's your culture, that, that's right. not for us to say. Right. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I want that dialogue with the ranger to know, to say, hey, how do you feel about this? I'm yeah. not afraid to ask, like- we, you understand that people are leaving their equipment there. How do, how do you feel about that? How do they? I mean, they don't like it. Yeah. They don't like it at Lincoln Lake, especially. And he says, you know, look, this is a 15 minute approach. He's aware of how quickly you can get down to the lake. He's like, it's not hard. And they're like, please, we want, we want to see evidence that people care. And when you stash your pad, you're just blatantly saying, I don't give a crap. Yeah. You're jeopardizing the area for, potentially for other people too right if the rangers they can use that as a reason to potentially restrict the area in the you're future. killing the marmots they can uh and i think that <laughs> there is i get that this is thing I, it's responsible i don't want to deal with it but in rocky mountain national park there was in 2008 or 2009 there was a extremely serious threat that the lower chaos was going to get shut down yeah i remember because the the superintendent of rocky mountain national park walked over to bush pilot and there was a pad a stash pad just out just a ratty pad underneath the problem and he was like this is a hundred percent unacceptable it's yes. like a fucking bed mattress in the middle of a wilderness and area. it's chewed up and it's you know it's and, Foam and he's everywhere like, right and he's like and the rangers have said too in the park that like, look, we get that these, there are huge pits and there there's huge pits and there are, it, these things are dangerous and you guys need a lot of pads. You guys need a lot of pads. And I, we understand that. But when there's a crash pad, that's just out, especially in lower cast, which is a 25 minute hike, it's really unacceptable. Yeah. <sighs> I, that makes me angry, man. We, like we were talking about, and we don't necessarily have to get into this stuff, but it's going to take people taking responsibility. Yeah. And I know well, that people get into climbing because they don't want to take responsibility. They want to blow responsibility off. They want to screw this. I don't want I don't want to work. I don't want to do whatever. I just want to go climbing. But if we are going to be, we're going to have 150 people up there in on a day, we have to take responsibility. Things have changed. Yeah, yes. you got to recognize adapt. your current environment. We have to adapt. And that's where I'm at. Like, there's certainly some part of me that feels cynical about, God, I used to go to Chaos Canyon and there were three people up there. It was Dave and Chad and whoever else. Now there's, I don't know anyone. No one says hi to me. The scene has changed radically yeah there's yeah. some part of me that doesn't like that but i also have to put that aside to be like hey, that's over that was a time period that's never going to change but we're in a new world and we have to deal with that and that's kind of where i'm at with everything that we have to just we have to deal with the way things are now yeah which is there's a ton of people going up there mm -hmm. i hey, go ahead i mean that you saying that about no one says hi is like one of the things that has been bugging me a lot lately like um 
I don't know. That's one thing I always loved about the climbing community or mm-hmm. going somewhere new is like, I feel like I always make really good friends in certain areas. Like, like I go to school. I used to go to Squamish like every summer and every summer I feel like I would meet such a cool group of people. Everyone's really friendly there. The vibe is super awesome. And I feel like I come away with some actual friends. And then now like I, I've been going to Joe's the last few seasons and the vibe there is so weird. Like no one says hi, like people roll up, they don't acknowledge you even though you're like there and like just the little common courtesies that I feel like, yeah. So one of the things that's changed with this, I mean, things have changed radically since I started climbing, but one of the things is that like I would go to Joe's, I went to Joe's in 2002. Me too, that was my first year. Yeah, it was quiet. (laughs) Um, And I feel like you had that experience where you would meet people, you would talk to people. You didn't like, oh, I know your, I know who that is. I saw your Instagram account five years ago. <laughs> right, you yeah. know, you like, you, I would like, you want to get to know people. You like talk to them. Like maybe you had guys had come from Iowa and you're like, what's climbing like in Iowa? Yeah. You ask, I always felt like there was this journalistic process that went on yeah. where you're like asking like, yeah, where are you from? Where are you from? Where do you climb? What's the climbing like yeah. there? I don't know anything about Iowa. And you guys are like, climb Iowa is sick. <laughs> yeah, we totally would have been like that. No, the th- it, back then, like license plates were a fascinating indicator and they were like the start of your conversation with somebody you'd meet. Totally. And today you see a license plate from Minnesota and you don't fucking think twice. Right. It's like, of course, but back then I was like, oh my God, somebody from Quebec in Orangeville? And you could be like, what is climbing like in Quebec? And they would be like, what's climbing like in Colorado? And you'd be like, we have this amazing new area called Rocky Mountain National Park. It's up 10,000 feet. That kind of dialogue is just done. Done. Yeah. I it, mean, not that people don't talk to each other. Obviously no, they do, yeah. but it's, it's changed. It's area specific. Like, like, cause I was saying like Squamish still has that vibe. Like everyone's super nice there. And it, those exact interactions happen, right? You're like, Oh, you're from Mexico. Like you drove up here in your van. That's amazing. How do you like, you know, I but, think Joe's is odd because it's such a small place and it's so easy to like really feel, get comfortable in a hurry in Joe's like, um, especially when like the food ranch had the Spartan den and it was open and you could go in there and you, if you stayed for two weeks, you kind of felt like a part of the community and you knew all of the boulders, you knew the left fork, the right fork, new Joe's, all of it. And you'd feel, and I think that's why people are like, maybe not quite as friendly in Joe's as, as they used to be because everybody's like, this is my home Craig. Now everybody from Colorado feels that way. Everybody from Utah feels that way. Everybody from New Mexico, just like, Oh, this is mine, you know? And okay. Okay. Writing on that, riffing on that. So, uh, I think you saw the post that David Lloyd made recently where he's like, Hey, I'm making an Unui bullying guy book. And you saw the fucking stupid shit. People were saying to David Lloyd and, I that just blew my mind like the t- the entitlement of those people <laughs> like I know for a fact a few of those people who were like we don't want like you're not even you local. should describe what happened okay essentially David Lloyd commented made a post he's he lives in Grand Junction well-known climber there a former really guidebook res- author as well former guidebook author has written a guidebook with you I believe or, uh, or worked he, with you. He wrote the Wind River yeah. bouldering guidebook. And you so, were a developer. And I was a big developer, time, yeah. Okay. yeah, at the time. So, yeah. yeah so, I've known Dave for a long time. Dave's a good friend. He's great. Yeah, he's, he's a really he's a damn good man. Super nice guy, well respected. And yeah. so he made a post like, hey, I think I'm working on a guidebook here. And immediately you have people who are like, please don't. And it's, first of all, it's also a small group 
that the all the people that commented there are a small group of individuals that I kind of know. <laughs> but yeah, they were saying like, don't do it. Like you're, they're gonna, it's gonna ruin the vibe there. Unaweep is like, let the people go to Joe's. I'm just trying to think of all the ridiculous thing they said. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just super weird because first of all, the people who were commenting like you guys don't live in Grand Junction. You guys aren't locals and you're acting like it's your private place. And um, you also are acting like people don't know about Unaweep. Like the information for Unaweep has been out forever. Everyone knows about Unaweep. They, they just don't go for whatever reason, you know? I, and a guidebook has the potential to introduce, like you're saying, like your guidebook is, is a step towards establishing a relationship with the land management. It's a step towards just... Because... Because to be frank, Unaweep is treated really poorly by the people who use it. Like it's fucking trash. It's man. trashed all the time. Like the, the the Grand Junction locals that go out there and do weird things in the woods. There, the partying, and also party the climbers that I uh, that that group of people that were saying like climbers trash it. Like I know a fact, you guys are the ones trashing that place. I've seen the way you treat Unaweep. So it's just. I don't know. David is one of the nicest, most sincere, <laughs> thoughtful. He, I mean, he wrote a philosophy book. I yeah. mean, he's just a really interesting person. He's a character and he's a really interesting person. I consider him a good friend. And he, I know that he's gone out on multiple days to just clean up trash. I, yes. Know, he really cares. He cares about the place. He really cares. <laughs> and he will absolutely, he, he did it in Lander and I'm a hundred percent confident he'll do it again in Grand Junction where he will reach out to the land managers and say, Hey, we're a user group. We want to have access to this. What can we do as a user group to like show that we care and show that we're invested and convince you that like we are a legitimate user group mm-hmm. and that you will be on our side and nothing could be better for that area than him doing that. And it's just, it's just, yeah, the level of entitlement is out of control. It's like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> it's like, this is the person that you should want to on your side. He's going to work He's going to do all the work that you don't want to do because he's going to go sit down with a land manager and like yeah. have a two hour meeting about like, you know, rules and regulations and how we're going to get a porta potty out there. I think what David would do with a guidebook would be incredible for that area. And certainly more people are going to come come if you write a guidebook but i don't know if they've noticed but climbing is kind of popular right now and like (laughs) there's a lot of people that are doing it and like you say it's been in it's all over mountain project yes and it's there's a guidebook there's guidebooks already for it it. philip's first guidebook that he wrote back in like 1999 or 2000 oh yeah that has like all the roadside boulders Mm -hmm. on it and it also has and then also his i think it's in his new he just released a new kind of western slope guidebook and i believe it's in there as well so just someone it's like wait a second hold on someone wants to work with the land managers wants to do all this extra garbage work that is not fun to do do. at all document everything correctly and make sure that climbers have a good relationship and you want to just like no (laughs) you want to just shit on this person it's like what Uh you're not you're not even a local david lloyd it's like at what point does david get his local badge i've asked the people that live in glenwood springs can determine this yes the people like local permit the people after. saying he's not a local don't even live in grand junction well he does god i was that that string was infuriating to me and yeah. um it's bizarre about uniweep specifically because you know so if you go to uniweep you're just kind of like 
First of all, the place is not world-class. It's not a world-class bouldering destination. It has some amazing stuff. It's a people doing good work yeah. right now. But the first thing you notice when you go to Uniweep is like, fucking there's spray paint on the boulders. There's fucking trash everywhere. It is unfortunately abused by the the, the motorized the user not group. climbers. Right. Yeah, so that's why I think a guidebook would be good to give climbers a, voice. a fucking voice and a leadership role. Yeah. And then they can start taking care of like, hey, man, don't spray paint on our boulders. Hey, maybe we can get a porta potty out here so you don't right. have to shit everywhere yeah. in Uniweep because right. there's no place to take a turd. And <laughs> and certainly not every area should have a guidebook. But this is literally a roadside bouldering area that yes. has been known about for 20 years. 20 years, yeah. That information is out there. It seems like there's a lot of misinformation on mountain projects. Yes. Just And I don't know because I haven't bouldered Dude. in Uniweep much. But just from what I read in the comments that like this isn't right. So just have someone do it right and make it. Dude, the weird drama in terms of like who's gotten the first ascent in Inuweep 2 is that's a, that's a this is a completely not related to the whole like that's really guidebook bizarre, stuff, but dude. there's like a bizarre thing oh where God. people are like yeah i you know that's the charm of unui because you don't really know who got the first ascent of this boulder but at the same time i got the first ascent <laughs> like <laughs> and like you better not fucking claim the first ascent of this boulder well, even though there was no way for you to ever have known it'd been climbed 10 years ago because i didn't talk about it or post it anywhere but i did do it <laughs> it's funny because i feel like there's a lot of um, hunger for these first ascents like yeah. I did the first ascent yes. I did the first ascent but does any like I know who did the first ascent of almost every boulder in Lower Chaos and I don't think almost anyone cares at who all. cares they know that Dave had a big impact but yeah. like as to who did handicaps I don't really think people <laughs> care that much no like, I don't think like so it's like pecking for table scraps yeah it's like uh, you get you do get a certain 15 minutes Right. When if you've been a developer in an area, but in the end, nobody fucking cares. Like Fred Nicole to put Rocklands on the map. Awesome. Fred Nicole put helped put Waco on the map. Awesome. Right. Fred Nicole helped put Australia on the map. Those are huge contributions. Absolutely. Yeah. Whether or not someone did the first ascent of some <laughs> random thing at Uniweep, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, it's interesting, sure. <laughs> yes, but it, like in the and it should be documented. That's great. Yes. I would advocate for that. But like, it doesn't. You know, Can, did you have? You must have had like incredible lashback for the Evans and RMNP guidebook on like vis a vis people saying like that you shouldn't have a guidebook for this. To be honest, there wasn't that much. Really? And I've always been like, hey, if you want to say something, say it. Yeah. I'm I, like, we can have a talk. I'm an adult. Like, let's have a conversation about Dude, it. You're a big boy. You can handle the criticism. <laughs> yeah. And the one per I got really, as far as I can remember, one real message from someone. And it was from, uh, I'm not going to name the person, but they wrote a really thoughtful, they're at this local, they wrote a really thoughtful message to me. And I said, I think you bring up great points, but again, here is what I'm trying to accomplish. And to be honest, I would love to have your voice as a part yes. of this. You're an important part of this. Hop on board. And they were like, cool. I want to write an essay. And so they're going to have an essay in the new edition, which is That's awesome, which is awesome. And it makes me feel hmm, like well, ultimately it makes, it, it, it makes me feel like ultimately people just want to be heard. They want to be like there you're, you you know, like you were a part of this and like, Hey, let's hear your voice too. And I want to give them, I want to have as yeah. many essays as I can. I want to hear as many voices. Cause it was a collective. It wasn't, even yeah. though Dave has a huge part of it, for example, in the park, 
is as it is with any area, there's a huge crew of people. Maybe it's just that one person that came out one time that did one first ascent, but they're also part of that story. Right. And I think that's the complete picture is yeah. like including all those voices. Dude, so. that, that's gotta be one of the most important things a guidebook should do too, I think, is tell the history of the area and totally have those snippets. Cause like your your guidebook, mm-hmm. the Rocky Mountain one has like the the section about Dave Graham developing there is super cool. Like or just the history of it, how it was found. I think that kind of stuff is is it's it is important, you know. I think you should know about the area. Like it's weird to go somewhere and you're like, I don't really know. This boulder's just here now. <laughs> like these places. <laughs> so there were just there was a talus field around Lake Hayaha in 1995 yeah. that no one had ever climbed on. And then now it is like a world class yes, bouldering exactly. area. Exactly. And that happened through the work of a lot of really dedicated people. Yeah. And like people show up and they're like, I want to go flash jade or something. Yeah, they don't even know. Like And it's like that took Dave Graham as a 17 year old kid hiking all the way up there, knowing how to find boulders and finding it. And then yeah, maybe it's not the hardest boulder to find, but yeah. he he took the step that no one else took yes. and went up there and started trying it and started figuring out beta and said that this is going to be a boulder problem. This is a project that people should come and try. And then he showed it to Daniel Woods. And that process took years. And so when you show up at any climbing area, this happens at every Mm -hmm. single climbing area because these, that chalk doesn't get there by accident. So someone took the step where no one else did. And there should just be a, I think as maybe I'm biased as a developer, but there should be a (laughs) level of respect for like, Hey, someone stepped here, but first someone had a vision and when everyone else went left, they went right. And now because they went right, you're there. Yeah. And so like, just have a little respect and like, it's that's also, why the history is awesome. Cause you yes. get those stories and you, you, and they're with every climbing area because no climbing area would exist without these people. It's like, um, it's, you know, the broken window theory of crime mm-hmm. mitigation. So it's, you know what that is? Yeah. It's like, if you cl- fix more windows in areas that reduces crime. Yeah. Or like if a car window is broken that the a criminal is going to walk by and be like, they don't give a fuck about that. I'm just going to steal it. It's climbing history would engender that level of respect towards areas. You know, the more history that you can tell and show that this has been an area that's been cared for and loved and respected right. for so long. So when new people come, they aren't just like, I want to rage, bro. Oh fucking said hard. They're they're also like, wow, man. I John Gill in nineteen sixty two put up fucking left eliminator. John whenever, Gill put chalk on that. his hands as a <laughs> yeah, gymnast, right. and now because he did yes, that, everyone, everyone is using does chalk. It. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's incredible. There's a lot of play. You know, just as an aside, what I think would be a fascinating history that, as far as I can, I've researched, nobody's ever written, and that's the history of Morrison. Yeah. Because that is so fucking rich, man. Talk to Annette. <laughs> yeah, is she the spring? I don't, I don't have two days. <laughs> she she is the gatekeeper of all things Morrison oh. to this day. But I think, yeah, having those stories, having that history, because it, it's important because you wouldn't be there if it wasn't for those people. Like yeah. I always, like Dave is certainly a complicated person, but like I wouldn't be, he's done so much for Colorado bouldering. It is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like he put like Endo Valley as a bouldering area. He put Chaos Canyon as a bouldering area, Lincoln Lake as yeah, a bouldering it's area. It's unbelievable. Like his, like it, he single-handedly developed Lincoln Lake. And I, I maybe I shouldn't say single-handedly, but it was his vision. 
And like oftentimes Daniel would do the first ascent, but David cleaned it and tried it five days. Daniel yeah. just showed up and was like, oh, cool. I'll do this. Three <laughs> fourteen. <laughs> but Dave was the one who was, I mean, there, the, the day, you know, Dave moved in next door to me in 2011 and it was like, he sat down the first day and he asked where, where are we going to go this summer? What's the new, we've got to yeah. find a new place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sat down for like an hour, maybe two hours and just went through, here's all my ideas of where there could be a new area. Yeah. And I was like, I think Lincoln Lake, there's a lot of rock there. It's really easy to access. And I don't think that it's actually been looked at in a modern yeah. way. He went out the next day and came back and he had all these videos on his iPhone. It was like the first time I had seen someone yeah. with like iPhone videos, like, hey, check it out, this one, this one. And he's like, project, 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 project. And it was like game on. And that summer it became yeah. Lincoln Lake. Yeah. It went from, people had certainly bouldered there, going back to Bob Haran, actually it was the first person to boulder at Lincoln Lake, going back to Bob Haran. And, but it would always been this kind of underground, a couple of things had been done. Yeah. And then Dave just turned it into a, an like actual a, area, an actual area yeah. that people visit from like Europe and Asia. It's, I, it's Lincoln amazing. Lake is amazing. I remember that summer so fucking well that summer we interviewed Dave, Luke mm -hmm. and uh, fucking Cardwell. Yeah driving back from Lincoln Lake and they, they didn't they would they refused to call it Lincoln Lake it was Wolverine land right. at the time and Dave's like man the Wolver. size of the Wolverines out there are insane I can't believe yeah Chad was calling the marmots Wolver baby Wolverines yeah. that's where the name for that oh, one wow, came from oh wow that's good to know yeah yeah there are no Wolverines Chad was like yeah dude the, there's a baby Wolverine the little Wolverines that are running around and that's yeah that's how that all got started I, that's God, good to that know that was awesome so the, and that yeah. was an exciting time you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, in 2012, someone took a photograph of a wolverine on Guanella Pass, which what? is not far from Lincoln Lake. Holy no shit. way. They actually yeah. exist. Mm -hmm. Google it. Wow, it's I didn't know. Beautiful photos too. Like clear as day, total wolverine. Wolverine. Yep. Fucking and they have not been, I think, known that they were living in Colorado. I thought they were yeah. only in like Australia. That's what I, I didn't thought. know Wolverines were in Colorado. Yeah. Are you fucking with us? <laughs> no, or is this real? Google it. Wolverine Chad's going to hear this and be like, yes, I fucking knew it. Yes. I feel like that may have started the Wolverine cover, like that, that someone had seen this Wolverine and that oh. may have started the whole, like that it was part of our thought process. Interestingly enough, that Wolverine <laughs> was killed in North Dakota no! like seven years later. They, was it tagged or something? A, yeah. A rancher killed it in like North Dakota. Son it's of a bitch. <laughs> Dude, the Wolverine of Wolverine Land is it's gone. It's gone. It's dead. Wow, well, somebody should is... put up a fucking plaque or something. Wait, yeah, why isn't there a plaque at Lincoln Lake? <laughs> so George the Wolverine died a heroic death in Bismarck, North freaking Dakota. Ranchers. People have seen mountain lions at Lincoln Lake as yeah. well. Wow, too. pretty wild place. I, yeah, oh. and I don't know that people had really bouldered up that high prior to that point. That's a pretty high elevation bouldering at area. Lincoln. Yeah. Wasn't there a crew in the late nineties that did some work at Lincoln Lake? They did. But like up until that point, like that's like the highest Alpine bouldering in like, America. It was. And then I think people have bouldered now. Um, I heard that someone put up maybe a V10 at 14,000 feet near Whoa. the summit of Mount Evans. That so does not like surprise me at yeah, all. Totally. Jesus. At all. Wow. Fuck. I love thinking of those halcyon days when like the park, and Lincoln Lake and Evans was just like, 
exploding and that was the era of your website b3 yeah. and front range bouldering front and there range were bouldering. all of the there were all of these little like uh boutique shop websites and totally there was so much excitement yeah. and like uh passion and drive and you just couldn't fucking wait to go there because these giant world-class areas weren't there one day for us for right. the non-developers totally and the next day they existed just boom, Lincoln Lakes, an area in one summer on the map. One fucking summer. Right. That's oh amazing. Dude, I have to I have to admit, until today, I thought B3 bouldering was just like B bouldering. And then I realized that it was referencing John Gill's elusive grade of only one person is going. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The whole idea I was just kind of as a as a, again, as a history of climbing. Like that's who I grew up kind of idolizing as yeah. like a revolutionary person who had crazy ideas about what climbing could be when people were saying uh you know climbing shouldn't be done dynamically and climbing shouldn't be done bouldering is just practice climbing he said i don't care i have a different way to think about things and i'm gonna put chalk in my hands and i'm gonna if you look at those old videos of john gilks if you search on youtube there are old videos of him climbing and his power is like incredible it's like watching daniel woods it's like you took this person yes. from like 2008 and put him back in 1970 yeah it's unbelievable and he's wearing mountain boots right it's <laughs> fucking crazy gill and um jim holloway mm -hmm. specifically oh, are, 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 are like true time travelers oh my right? god it's like they came from 2016 and like took the time machine back and just fucking ravaged places and you know trice wasn't you were you the first one to send it since so i was like or were you living in boulder i was like i kind of got this idea i was like i'm gonna try to do trice yeah yes, i'm I gonna remember. like i was in good shape and i was like i think i can try to do this and i'm gonna i'm gonna put a whole winter of work into it yeah and just really try to do it and not like people would go and try it and make all the pockets gross i don't want to you know they <laughs> try it three times and be like i'm like i'm just gonna fight through the grossness and try to do it. And I put maybe six or seven days into it. I put a pretty serious effort into it. And then Carlo caught wind of the fact that like yeah. I was yeah. like going, getting close and about to do it. And literally I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm like, I, I got all the moves down. I think I'm going to do it. I went up there and he, like I walk up and he's like topping out the second ascent. Ah! <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's Carlo's fun. a great guy. I, you know, it's just like, it is what it is. And yeah, and I was like, this doesn't really change. I still want to do it. Yeah. You so you got the third. So I did the third ascent maybe ten minutes after he did the second ascent. And now it's just day. been yeah. rallied on since totally. then. So so for anyone listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, so Trice was a boulder problem put up on Flagstaff Mountain in nineteen seventy eight, I, I think. Know. Something yeah. in the seventies, which is mm -hmm. crazy. And it's V twelve. And it wasn't repeated till twenty ten? Two thousand something. That was two thousand and uh, it must have been at least 2010, maybe 2000. No, it was before that. It might have been 2008. Dude, what? That's the, my guess. Why, so why? Why was it? Like, I mean, that's like, that's a long time for an area with such a high concentration. I think for a long time people just considered it. I mean, a lot of Holloway stuff is unrepeated. Isn't uh, what's the one in horse tooth meat rope? Uh, meat hook. Meat hook hook has never been repeated the way Holloway did it. And so so these problems got a lot of they Ugh. probably would have been forgotten about, but they got a lot of attention through Sherman. John Sherman yeah. wrote about them and called them the big three. There was Chi Hook at Horsetooth Reservoir, there was Trice at Flagstaff Mountain, and there was um gosh, I can't remember the third it's 
it's up on dinosaur mountain it is slap shot slap shot slap shot right. and slap shot broke and i believe it was sherman who admitted that he glued the hold upside down he glued the hold on wrong <laughs> so that one is kind of i don't know corrupted. Leave it to john sherman <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That one is kind of lost to yeah. oblivion. But the other two were like, you know, and people had just dismissed them. You know, they were kind of old school boulder problems. They weren't these modern overhanging kind of gym problems. And right. people just were like, they try them and be like, oh, this is stupid. This is just some dumb thing. And, you know, like I said, like being a historian or being interested in history, I was like, I, I'm really, I want to like dive into this and like, kind of do my own yeah. research so to speak man yeah so they yeah incredible unbelievable contribution and everyone that climbed with holloway was like he was so far ahead of what yeah. so are you far. kidding me v12 in 1970s right i mean every every one of his partners to a person is just like he was we were the strongest climbers in colorado and he was so <laughs> so bizarrely beyond us right i think there's unimaginable thing that happens where people think that like oh john sherman he's just this old fuddy-duddy he doesn't really know <laughs> what hard climbing is because i know what hard climbing is yeah. and i think that sherman is a really bright guy he knows what's going i would trust if he says like this guy was unbelievable I would absolutely believe him. Yeah. Like I, I, there's no reason to think that he doesn't get what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Is you is know? Holloway still around? He is. Yeah. He is alive. He yeah. he's a he was a blew out his knees mountain biking. Oh god. He because he kind of quit climbing in like '82 or around uh-huh. there, and got into like the first wave of mountain biking. So it, the day I did trice andy Mann was there and took taking photos yeah. and andy knows jim and actually called him to ask like hey did you start yeah did you start under cling like on the left hand side pulling the right hand under cling or did you start with your right hand a little bit higher and he's like to be honest i don't remember i think it was probably the under cling but but we had him actually on the phone wow the pretty cool that's pretty cool Man, like, i would sweet. i would love to talk to jim holloway you we, we kind of brought this up and then andy was like i could just call him i was like do it be <laughs> I awesome have his, i have his number <laughs> yeah. okay great for the listeners if you want to hear jim holloway talk he is interviewed extensively in colorado uh no um rocky mountain highball oh, i wow. think whoa so if that you, is a deep cut Dave. It, yeah it is um <laughs> rocky and i think rocky mountain highball is available to rent on amazon prime oh wow awesome I watched it like two months ago during the pandemic. Just like, wow, I wish I could climb. I'm going to watch Rocky Mountain Highball. And fucking Holloway is in there just like, I think he's talking about Hollow's Way. Right. Which is a terrifying. First Ascent, Rob Candelaria, by the way, of Hollow's Way. Oh, is it really? It is. Mm-hmm. God, he, Rob, he owned all that. Like, he did uh, Butt Slammer too mm-hmm. down there. He did. Yep. Whoa. Wow. Hollow's Way. That's another one that's lost to. People were really, I think, you know, People were really strong. I think sometimes it's easy to say like, but you see how strong they are because things like Hubble, which yeah yeah, yeah. took Adam Andra. Like I don't did he? I don't think he he actually did it. It took Mako like three days, right? Which is like, a lot. Like, Alex is so much stronger than every. It's like really because it was not easy for him. I mean, he is stronger certainly, yeah. But it was not easy for. He didn't flash it. No, it took him effort. It's hard. These I things mean, are people hard. People were really good. Do Hubble. I so the word through the grapevine was is because they didn't they knew they couldn't send it right 
they just knew they couldn't climb it. They knew they'd get shut down by like whenever that thing was fucking whenever Ben Moon put that thing up. I don't even remember. Um, but it went unrepeated for a long time. A it was long, a huge accomplishment. Speaking of old amazing roots that don't get repeated very much, I just want to shout out to yeah. Melissa Lenev for yeah. doing the first female yes. of Action Direct. That's amazing. incredible. That Absolutely incredible. amazing. That's so fucking Super inspiring. cool. It's, yeah, yeah, that was really inspiring. That does not get done very much and it's awesome that it finally got done by a woman. Straight Amazing. out of quarantine. Right. Oh, that was so good. That was like the best news when they were like, okay, the world can climb again. And like two days later, <laughs> Melissa <laughs> sends action direct. It's like, well, I've been training monos for the last two months. <laughs> yeah. In Dude. my basement. So pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really cool. But yeah, the history, man, it's so important. I love it. And it takes those people to step outside of the box like David Lloyd is one person I think is kind of an outside the box thinker to step outside of the box and start going to new places and doing new things. So one thing that group that was attacking, (laughs) Oh man, which also funny because like you, can you guys just like be, you guys know him too. Like have a normal conversation with him. Just talk to him. He's a nice guy. But anyways, like (laughs) they, they reference Roy as being an example of what could potentially happen when a guidebook comes out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of wondering what your thoughts are on Roy. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because, I mean, I we saw each other there. Um, I was with the embarrassing large, embarrassingly large group, and it was a very chaotic day of lots of people. <laughs> yeah, that's totally changed. So I, when I talk about Roy, and I think it's like a travesty that these people are ranting about Roy as if somehow they... yeah are in, in on it because Tom Ellis, William Penner, um, gosh, the other guy's name, Masumi. Mis, I'm honestly not sure. I only really remember William Penner. Okay. Masumi, I don't know. Mis, these three guys were the key developers of Roy. Yeah. And they were there in 2003. I think William found mm-hmm. it Roy in 2003. He would obviously know the date exactly, but it was a long time ago. Didn't Tom Ellis say they were there in 2002? We should listen to our own podcast. We interviewed, <laughs> yeah. we interviewed Wait, those guys. Oh, good. <laughs> I just don't remember the exact yeah, I don't date, remember but either. they were there yeah. and they developed it and they did so much for the development of Roy. They are the first ones. They for should six get all years the, without six a years, word. Without a word. They should get all the credit. They did everything. Yes. They're amazing. And and any time a discussion of Roy comes up, it should be centered around their contribution. Like it's what they did is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. Then slowly, they brought a friend of theirs, John Kufal, who is friends with Noah. Noah saw the pictures that Kufal yeah. posted on Zero oh, Friction. Oh, Noah Kaufman. Yeah, yeah. Noah Kaufman saw the photos that Kufal posted on Zero Friction of the yeah. World Wide Wall. Noah's like, I got to know. He drove out there. He ran around, couldn't find anything. Eventually... They connected, Tom and Noah connected. Noah knows Brian Caps. Brian Caps went down there. Brian Caps took me. This is in 2010. Wow. So I'm like telling, sitting to myself, I'm seven years or eight years too late. I came eight years after they came, yeah. they found this place. So I'm like second wave, yeah. 100%. And I bouldered there for six years with no one yeah there was a hand it was basically tom and william jay droger kind of got word of it a few a year or two later and myself and this guy colin horvat mm-hmm. and i took a few people down there john petsky was going out there do you know him he went out there a couple times yeah mm-hmm. and we had the place to ourselves we never saw anyone it was totally quiet put up some really awesome problems yeah 
Bear Toss, Roy G. Biv. Great problems. I remember Petsky One Eye Clown got put up yeah. in that time wow. by Caps. Fuck, man. Like, we went down there. The first day I went down there, One Eye Clown was a project. Caps is like, we're going to try this arette. We went there. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, it's so beautiful. 20 minutes later, the first ascent. And it got repeated by Brian Arnold from American Ninja yeah, Warrior. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> Second ascent. Holy yeah. shit! Little known, little known Roy fact. And then he's it a was, strong motherfucker, by the way. He's a strong climber. He super strong climber. P <laughs> yeah. thirteen, as far as I know. Yeah, I think right up there. And uh, that got done that day. The next day, um, there's a V eleven that I put up on the cliff band Red Devil. It's mm-hmm. up on the kind of upper jumbles. I don't. We had names for this stuff. I don't know what they ended up calling it in the guidebook, yeah. but we always called it the upper jumbles. Okay. That stuff got done. And then it was just game on and we just had it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, eventually I met Tom and William and they were like, please don't say anything to anyone. And I was like, okay, this is your guys yeah. stuff. I'm just like, whatever you guys say, I'll keep my mouth shut. And I did for six years. And then I heard that um, Owen was doing guidebook and I was like, whoa, this is yeah. kind of a... Re- yeah, that's a big change. Big change. And I feel like maybe they were done with it or they were like, it's time to, it's time time to, to let it go. Time let to let it share. And Owen reached out to me and I gave him some information about what we had done. And I told him, I said, I think you should reach out to the land managers. And I don't really know if he did or not or what to what extent he did. And I also said, hey, I think you should be cautious that the front range is going to descend upon. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... That's what happened. <laughs> I mean, I think it is a, maybe it's a dangerous situation when you have an area that's as good as Roy. Yeah. It's as easy to access. And then you just go from zero to guidebook. That's the thing. That's, that's it right there. that's the difference that I feel like yeah. what's going on in Grand Junction is we're not going from zero to guidebook. It's, it's well not known. as good as yeah. Roy. People know about it. I mean, whatever. Maybe, we can, maybe it is better than Roy. Maybe I don't know let's assume I don't know and it's better than Roy, but we're still not going from zero to guidebook. It's well known. It's on mountain project. There's other guidebooks out there. I think most climbers have heard of it at least. Yeah. Roy went from being unknown <laughs> completely yeah. to like, here is directions to every problem. Boom. Yeah. Go. And by the way, this is the new Joe's Valley. Right. Right. I, I, I you know, I look back on these years. So it's, we had six years or so of total quiet running around, just picking plums it was one of the best times in my life when I, in terms of climbing, when I think about, I go down there and I'm like, I pull in the jumbles and there's like 40 cars. <laughs> yeah, there. And it's I'm insane. like, wow, it's crazy. This is not, you know, some part of me is sad, but also things change. It's like part of being yeah. an adult is just dealing with like radical changes yeah. and like accepting embracing those changes, it. embracing those. And I just am so thankful that I had those that time yeah. when it was quiet. And there's plenty of other places to go. It's, yeah. You can't hold on. I'm not a, like, I feel like children want to hold on to things forever and be like, it's mine little thing. And I'm just <laughs> going to like hang on to it forever. And no one can play with my toy. And I'm like, you know, it's things change and it's going to change. It'll yeah. change again. So like, let's just yeah. try to keep up with the changes. And yeah, I think Owen is now reaching out to the mm-hmm. Rangers and they're starting a dialogue and it, he's like, yeah, maybe we're going to hold off on a second edition. There are other areas that in my opinion are as good as the jumbles that have not been discovered by the masses or almost anyone. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll, they will get discovered, but like that'll all, it'll, it'll yeah. happen. Yeah. They it doesn't will. change Mike's. It doesn't change the fact that there were three of us standing there and Caps did the FA of One Eye Clown and it was like yeah. one of the most fun days That's of amazing. my life. And it was awesome. Oh, you know, super dude. inspiring and 
just at the time we're like this is a 60 mile long canyon of one-eyed clowns oh my gosh yeah and yeah so it, it doesn't that doesn't change you know it's easy to feel cynical about it i think but if you really think about what happened we have that i have that memory forever it's yeah. never gonna nothing no matter what happens and we talked about it too we we're like god it is we're like is it gonna change we didn't i don't think we really knew we we're like that's kind of before gonna, things were exploding like right. even bishop in 2006 was still right not overrun right you know and what we were i mean like are people gonna want to drive out here you, i don't know maybe maybe not no services you know what's funny yeah, no what's funny is uh i i you know i did my i do Whenever I look at like Roy, I'll like Google around mm-hmm. and I found this article on Noah Kaufman's climbing blog. Yeah. And he's, he writes like, Roy most likely will never be a destination climbing area. <laughs> I was like, oh, I see what you're doing like there, milk. Noah. It has catapulted into one it, of the, into the kind of the Yosemite, Waco, yeah, Red Rocks, yeah. you shows, can, Roy. Totally. It's right in there. I think, oh, Sorry, I think you're gonna. Say I was just something. gonna say, like, I feel like that's an area too where the effect of social media was like also coincided really well. Absolutely. Where like it's like, Instagram hey, look at me culture. on this beautiful boulder because you can tell people like, what's funny is our friend Travis actually was the first person who ever was like, we should go check out these boulders in Roy. And I was like, eh, <laughs> that was kind of far. <laughs> but then like, then on Instagram you see like uh, someone's climbing this beautiful boulder and like it's in Roy, and you're like. Oh yeah, let's go there. Let's go, Travis. <laughs> this is one of the first like Lincoln Lake was with blogs, right? But yeah. we didn't have Instagram then really. Yeah. This is the one of the first areas that was developed or came to consciousness with Instagram. So totally. suddenly the guidebook comes out and then it's like Instagram, Instagram, yes. Instagram. And Everyone's there. Cool yeah. to go to Roy. Or maybe if even if people aren't motivated by being cool, they're like, My friends went down, they said it was only four hours drive and mm-hmm. it was sunny when Boulder was cold and cool that sounds like fun i want to go free camping free camping it's super easy and it just yeah i think all those things factored into it like i said every area is different the the development of every area is different how it becomes like a thing is different um and this one's different too so i think the what sets roy apart in kind of the paradigm we're talking about right now with new areas and stuff is that roy has this really unique opportunity to be like this glorious success story it does for climbing and it has an equal opportunity to be just a land management travesty with all of the disparate land user groups and and land ownership groups you have government you have state you have ranchers you have ranchers renting land from the government super complicated and they're all intertwined on the kiowa national grasslands so it's like i i'm i i i want to keep my finger on the pulse of roy because I hope it turns into that success story of management. But God, it could so easily, we could just lose access to it and totally. lose it all. Those, the road to the jumbles was created by climbers. There was not a road there. No shit. Yeah. Well, it's a lot, a lot wider than it used to be, my friend. Yes, I'm aware. Right. And it yeah. does seem like the cli- the rangers are willing to work with the climbers. Mm-hmm. Oh, it like, totally seems which like, is like And it seems like the locals are like, wow, people want to come they here. Should be, yeah, they should. That's a, it's exciting. So like maybe it can be an absolute success story. I think, I think it totally can, right. especially if somebody with a little bit of money and a little bit of land management, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little bit of a background and that sort of thing, fucking goes into Roy and starts a hostel, right? Or starts uh, Roy you know, Rock Ranch. Yeah, the Roy Rock Ranch. We've talked about this yeah. a million times. Totally. Like, we we 
need to have a hashtag Jason Momoa. Yes. <laughs> Spend some of that Aquaman Jason. money and buy their fucking Roy Rock Ranch. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and, and then going back to your point, Feedy, about people being upset about Roy, it's like, number one, you guys were there years after I showed up. We bolted there for a long time and you guys yeah. weren't there. And people were there years before I was there. So, like, someone's trying to claim you know ownership it's just so ridiculous yeah it is it's It's always a weird it's always a moment where you're like why do i feel this way because like i because like i've had that feeling when like because i started climbing there like three years ago Mm -hmm. and even then it was like way less crowded yeah and like now i'm like wow like so crowded it's crazy (laughs) it's like well quite frankly like i have no right to say anything or like feel anything because like everyone else here has just as much right to be here as me. Do you remember the first time I came out? <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so Feedy, Feedy is telling me for like eight uh, months, he's like, fucking Roy is amazing. There's nobody ever there. It is so yeah. wonderful. And the weekend I yes. showed up was like the most crowded yes, history the, and Roy, it crowded was, day in Roy's history. It, it may have been the first day where everyone realized like, holy shit, what happened? Because even even Owen was there. Actually, we camped next to him. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was because uh, it was spring break-ish. Right. And Joe's got had rain the whole week. And so everyone, all, went to everyone just was like, <laughs> I showed up and I was like, Feedy, you're a fucking liar, dude. Yeah, that this was, place is Packed. But yeah. but even I mean, we used to go to that campground and we'd always be the only yes. ones in the campground Who every else single would time. Ever be there. Every single time we had the campground to ourselves. For I mean, we go down twenty times a year for six years and Dude. we'd be the only ones there. Yeah, that's totally believable. Why would anybody wander yeah. into that? <laughs> there was I remember section. one time, maybe it was like two years before the guidebook, there were some New Mexico locals that were at the jumbles. They were bolting roots on the cliff band. Uh-huh. And we pulled up and they like came down Whoa. like, who are you? How do you know about this place? What are you doing? Like one other group now. I mean, it's just, it's just changed so much. Yeah. But again, like, like I was there when that was, we had the place to ourselves. We had, it was Roy to ourselves except for Tom and William and a couple other Santa Fe locals. And it's changed so much. It was last time I went, I went this year, there were like 50 cars there. What are you going to, am I going to just be bitter about it and angry and like get mad? Or am I just going to be like, Hey, this is what it is. There's plenty of other places to go develop. Yeah. if I want to be alone. And I still, I haven't done, even done one eye clown. So I want to like, I'm like, I still want to go do it. Sick boulder. Yeah, well, if you're pissed about it too, you know, a real constructive way to deal with your, <laughs> whoever you are dealing with your anger of it being overrun is come up with some solutions. Right. To like, let's oh, solve man, some Dave. of those land management <laughs> issues. And then it isn't overrun anymore because there are actual trails. There aren't social trails. There are established roads that aren't fucking weaving into ranchers lands to go around puddles so people have written to me and been like upset about whatever lincoln lake or um so i said i got one kind of negative response about the first guidebook i've gotten more negative response about this guidebook and i have said hey look if you are so concerned and you're telling me that you care about this place if you really care here is Ralph Brandt's contact. You can reach out to him. He's a ranger. He'd love to hear from you. I can help facilitate that meeting if you yes. want. We That's can talk it. about things you can do. Show up at the cleanup and clean mm-hmm. up some trash out of Lincoln Lake. Help us establish a trail down to that climbers can a climber use trail. There are a number of things that you can do. Use your uh, platform as a social media expert that you are, that you have all these followers yeah. to promote good ethics. Be at an Lincoln advocate. Lake. Yeah don't stash your pad at Lincoln Lake if you're a professional climber. So I'm like, 
if you care so much, cause you're telling me you care, then here's eight things that you can do. And then the response I usually get is like, Oh, well, I'm not going to want to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> great. So you want your cake and eat it too. And you don't want to be responsible. Well, don't then, fucking bring that my way then. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Fuck I mean, that. I'm like, I have a real job. People expect real things out of me. And like, <laughs> that's how you deliver. Like those are called deliverables. And like, you know, they're like, Jamie, we need this from you. And you're like, here you go. I've delivered it. There's yes. a way that you can, Oh, you care. You, you want to be a part of this <laughs> or Great. you're concerned. You're concerned. Then here's what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who's already put action. in the legwork, here's what you can do. Here's what I think you can do to help. Yeah. Oh, you want to do any of that? Well, I mean, then think about the fact that the climbing community is so large. Like we have a lot of power if we actually mobilize. Mobilize, <laughs> like absolutely. Of people, they. I feel like, yeah. Going back to like understanding history, respecting the history of a place. I feel like a lot of climbers, for sure, just take it for granted. Like I can. You know, like these boulders are here for me to climb and it's like a climbing gym. I just go and use it. Like I should, right. I don't have to like consumption. I don't have to. Yeah. Just consuming, just consuming and like not, not contributing at all. Right. And, uh, I think that is, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the perils of social media here, but Instagram climbing is the epitome of like kind of it can be the opinion of like consuming that just, consumption. Just yeah. Just, right. Oh man. Could I, I'm going to take out some dirty laundry here. One thing about fucking Instagram, <laughs> if we can just get all curmudgeonly yeah. real quick. And I'm no hero, by the way. I mean, I've sprayed on Instagram too. So <laughs> nobody, nobody's heroes. It, it's whether but we can have these conversations. Yeah. Right. And we can like bring these ideas to the, we can bring this dialogue to the forefront. It's like with all the race Dude, stuff that's going on, like with, we can't, you know, we're not going to solve the problems, but we can, having the dialogue is a step. It's yes. a small step towards like something. Yeah. And that's more than nothing. That's nothing. Yeah. Fuck you. Brought, what were, what were you, gonna, yeah, you, were gonna, you brought up the race. Yeah. Uh, okay. We'll talk about that first. One thing that I've noticed, like with the rise of Instagram and then like professional climbers mm -hmm. over the last three years, it's gotten really stark. Like that is their, that mm -hmm. is how they spread their message. One thing I've noticed. And then the pandemic really made it stark is so many, so many people scrambling into that space. So many fucking climbers who are just climbers and trying to pigeonhole, um, some sort of like identity to the masses has driven me fucking nuts for like the last year. Like I'm the training person. I'm the <laughs> advice person. Right. I'm the uh, naked yoga on top of the mountain person. Right. I'm the tent with Christmas lights person. It's just fucking, <laughs> it's not unique. So like, one thing not, I don't find like, that interesting. Right. One thing that I feel like happens is for me, climbing has always been an artistic pursuit. And art, art can, I think, express itself in a lot of different ways. It's not just painting like an oil painting, but oh, it can be sure. developing boulders through landscapes, through like mediums of movement over different landscapes or different rock Absolutely. types. Absolutely. It can that's, be making furniture. Right, right. So that's how I view climbing. And I want that vision to drive my own personal climbing. And I think when you look at people who are like Fred Nicole, he has this amazing vision for climbing. Yeah. And the vision drives the climbing. Everything else is secondary. Right. But somehow with Instagram, that flipped. And the Instagram post is what becomes the vision. Yes. The vision, the thing that is is driving their pursuit is how is it going to look on Instagram? And that's just like gross. It's so... How are we going to get a shot on the third pitch right. that I can use on Instagram when you're out in the fucking wilderness and you hiked in six hours to do like... 
uh, the casual route on the diamond. How am I going to cultivate some image and then get that perfect shot that like feeds that like cultivated image? And it's just not, I feel like, and that's what's sad is you have these prior to this, you had these people like Dean Potter, who in my opinion is a real artist or was a real artist. Yes. I had a real artistic vision for like pursuing mountain sports, you know, it's right. going to be dangerous. It's going to be, and it's going to be different. Like I'm going to slack line without a tether. Like, I don't know that that had really been done in a free soloing type way yeah. with a bass. I mean, that's something that I'm not interested in at all, but I appreciate, <laughs> yeah, someone's but out I there. appreciate his radical yeah. thinking and yes. the fact that he is like, has this vision that he's pursuing. It's like, he seems like he's pursuing a vision, not just like, how can I, what can I do? He didn't cultivate an image. He cultivated a muse. Right. And you can say that muse was his destruction as well. Absolutely. But he, he never fucking wavered right. from listening to the music that the muse whispered into his ear. Right. Until the at, bitter end. Totally. A hundred percent. And I'm not celebrating somebody dying base jumping and doing the radical shit he was doing. I don't celebrate that. Um, but I do celebrate like his adherence to nothing more. Right than the strange orchestra playing in his head. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 and you look at people, the people that I find inspiring, Tommy Caldwell, same thing, just has a vision. Like yes. I'm going to go do yeah. all these amazing free routes on El Cap and I'm going to do the hardest free route. And I'm going to, I don't care if it takes me seven years to do the route. Holy I'm going to like, like that is a vision that what's driving that is a vision. Yes. It's an artistic vision. Quixotic too, which and, makes it more fascinating. Right. He's like from afar. You're like, dude, you are fucking jousting at a windmill right, right. now. What are you doing? Right. We all followed it for those seven years. Real <laughs> rock was there for all of those seven years. Right. Ooh, and it was it's like, you've done eight routes on El Cap free routes. What does it matter that you do this other one and it was like but it matters more than anything to me yeah and that is like so refreshing right nothing is, to do with the so social media image at all one of the people probably the the person who has more impact on my own personal climbing than anyone is todd skinner mm. when i started climbing i saw todd skinner give a presentation about climbing and it was it just oozed with vision like I'm, he's like, I want to climb the four biggest walls in the, in the world. And he was enthusiastic about it. And he had like, we're going to train in Waco tanks, our fingers, and we're going to, you know, I'm going to go to Pakistan and do these radical big walls. And that was, I was like, that's what climbing is. It's this vision. Yeah. Like you will get someone like John Gill has a vision or Fred Becky has a vision. That's what's motivating. Yeah. And that's, what's so uninspiring about this stuff on Instagram. Cause there's no vision. It's just like, it's so concerned with what everyone else is doing and it's so cultivated. It's just right. That's better said that you just said it better than yeah. I did. That's exactly <laughs> right. And you know what the crazy thing is? I'm totally guilty. I mean, I'm not trying to cultivate anything, mm -hmm. but I'm, I fucking put stuff out there. And if I get more likes than the last post, I feel this bizarre welling of grotesque pride or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's poisonous. But yeah, is. you're exactly right. There's just right. no inspiration in climbing social right. media. And yet all of these people scrambled to fill that Instagram void with climbing voices. And it's just I, all fucking chaff to me. It's not right. all, but it's generally just chaff. So my question for you is mm -hmm. uh, how did you go from – because you – moved to Colorado to pursue climbing, right? Absolutely. And 100%. you were, and you were like, I want to like climb this difficulty, this grade. 
And where, what was like the point where you were like, actually, I'm more interested in developing my own stuff. Cause I feel like that's, that is a, like, that's a decision to make, right. To like divert from what most people do when they climb, they want to, I mean like, and I, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with pursuing climbing to like improve and mm-hmm. cause that's the joy you get out of it. Like, that's awesome. But, but to actually be like, Hey, I think like what I actually would like more is to find my own problems and establish. And just as a caveat to that, yeah. a lot of, you know, just regular climbers who have the same passion about the sport as I do, they don't have fucking time to go out yeah, and do all true. that exactly. hard work to develop. They want to tick off the classics. Totally. And, ch- and I have like, I am, I have been both of those people and right. I don't think one's better than the yeah. other. They're yeah. fucking all great. As long as you're doing it for the right, you know, you really love climbing. You don't have to be a developer yeah. to have my respect. Totally. But it takes a lot of fucking hard work. So yeah. It takes a lot of hard work and there's a lot of failures that come along with it. I would say to answer your question, Fidi, so I started climbing in Michigan. Yeah. There's one really small, really crappy crag <laughs> in Michigan called- Top Gra- rope capital of the United States. Grand Ledge, Michigan. It's, there's like 20 routes there. Oh um, yeah. It's top roping only. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Safe. The, safety the rock first. is so soft that you can't actually bolt it. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> And that's where I climbed for three years. The first three years of my climbing. Okay. Only at Grand Ledge. And I fairly quickly did the hardest routes there Mm -hmm. and then was like, I want to start putting up my own routes. Yeah. That pretty quickly in my, maybe I've been climbing for like a year. I started putting up first ascents in Michigan. Awesome. And when I came to Colorado, I like the first time I ever went to Chaos Canyon, we put up our first ascent. Yeah. I mean, I was always, we went to the hardware store, bought a wire brush, hiked up there. And I mean, it's not very good, but we, I was developing has always been a part of my climbing, but it did certainly shift yeah. at some point. Um, okay. And I mean, yeah, I would say that there was part of me that wanted to climb as hard as I possibly could. And I wanted to pursue that Avenue of it while also developing boulder problems. Mm -hmm. But the priority was trying to climb as hard as I can. And I did that. And then once I feel like I I was like, I don't think I can climb any harder. (laughs) I think I actually reached my potential. (laughs) Literally. That's what I thought. I was like, I can't do anything. I've, I've done everything I can do. Yes. I'm going to really focus on developing. And really lean mm-hmm. into that aspect of my climbing. That seems something like I started, that was when we went to Roy for the first mm-hmm. time. I started to kind of really, Wyoming really started to come onto my radar. Yeah. Um, other places in Colorado. And I mean, like I found the Holy Cross bouldering area in 2003. So there's like great bouldering in the Holy no Cross. Oh shit. I was the first one to go out there and, you know, so I was looking yeah, even yeah. at the time, um, that, yeah. but just not so singularly focused on developing. I was like, wow, there's cool bouldering here. Maybe someday I'll come back. Um, and then like, I mean, we're putting up, I, in 2002, Angie Payne and I were, I found the wheel of chaos, which is like a super mm-hmm. like upper, upper chaos that everyone goes to. No one would go. I was like, she was like, what are we doing up here? This is <laughs> ridiculous. Why are we hiking so far? So I was always, yeah trying to convince me and no one would go. I mean, I was like, you guys, they're like, why are we going to, a sunspot is far enough. This is crazy. <laughs> so I found all those boulders in upper, upper chaos, yeah. except for the pine Martin roof, which is found by Jim Belser and Paul Otis and, and uh, John Linhart were up there as well. They put up full chaos, but there were a handful of people that were going up there, but I was going up there, mm-hmm. but people just weren't, it wasn't a frenzy that it is. It was so, yeah, I guess to answer your question, 
I was always developing and always looking, yeah. but I was certainly focused on trying to climb hard until about 2009 or 10 or so. That, man, that's just cool. I, it's cool to hear that you've always had the developing aspect of your climbing as a part of your climbing. Because I think for the, like me personally, I never, I don't think it entered my consciousness that you could go out and find stuff until like, honestly, not that long ago. Like, if, right. Like when I moved here, maybe, and, uh, you know, you go to areas and you see stuff like, oh, or, or so, or you have someone who like shows you, I don't know. It's just, that's really interesting. The first day I went to the park was in 2001. It was, uh, two days before nine 11 and Dave was, I met Dave Graham there. Oh, wow. he was, I was trying gangbangerette. That was my project. Oh, Dave wow. was trying the dashboard which is just down Canyon. Like Dashboard. it's, uh, it's got these slopies. It's really low roof. Um, anyways, uh, Dave was trying the dashboard and he was like, yeah, it's a project. We want to come try it with me. And <laughs> that's a pretty good Dave Graham like Dave. impersonation right there. <laughs> just, I, <laughs> so right from the very beginning, yeah. it was like this, I, I moved to Colorado because of chaos Canyon. Yeah. And I was like, this is what is done here. It's developing boulders. Like we're, I moved here to develop, to, to help develop this area. And mm -hmm. like, I wasn't as strong as Dave or Daniel, but I'm going to, you know, try to do what I can. And wow. so, yeah. It's nice running into those people too, with a like-minded, yeah. you know, stance on developing. Cause that's another luxury that you had, right? That you by happenstance and also by your own desire, happened upon this fucking crew of developers that Dave are Graham. maniacs. <laughs> a lot of people don't never meet somebody right. who develops boulders. Uh, the, here's, I mean, the other thing is that, so there was a blurb or a blip in climbing magazine that was like, Dave Graham is putting up new problems in Lake Hayaha at chaos Canyon, Rocky mountain national park. That's all there was. And there was a new bouldering.com website that gave details. Dave was emailing them like, Hey, I did this new V12. I got a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was called like the power of good, Power of Hello project was Whoa. nothing but sunshine, became nothing but sunshine. Wow. And he was like, I think it could be V13 or V14. And I was like desperate for climbing information and yeah. stumbled upon this New England bouldering site, which wasn't getting a lot of attention, but Dave was posting about what he was doing. And I had been to Rocky Mountain National Park as a kid. And I was like, I want to go there and be a part of this. That's and so, so I went sick. there and I met Dave and then it was like, awesome this is exactly what i wanted like game on here we go <laughs> wow i love how so that you that's... sought it out you put yourself in that position i didn't know i got a map i bought went to the store and bought a map and was like i'm gonna hike i don't know where the boulders are we're just gonna hike to lake hayaha and we showed up and we're like we hiked to the lake we're like i don't know where the like i was from michigan i'm like yeah obviously they're right to the right there where all the boulders are piled up <laughs> yeah. but we're like where do we go oh my god and that's we walked awesome. over we saw a european human being and then we walked over to bush pilot and Will LaMare was there. Oh, wow. And I'd never seen anyone. He, I don't think he did bush pilot that day, but he got really close. I'd never seen anyone climb so hard and so smoothly. <laughs> I thought climbing hard was like really desperate. Yeah. And he just like walked it and I was, and then he just like stepped off and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> what happened? I thought it was supposed to be a struggle and you just made it look really, really easy. <laughs> and, that must have been mind blowing. Yeah. Mind blowing. And I'd never, you know, there's, here's a V11 and not only is it V11, is amazing boulder problem you yeah. know i'd never seen a boulder problem that was a big before yeah and, how and strong involved, were you at that time mm, i mean my project was gangbang yeah and okay. i did it so like three days i climbed v8 wow and that next that was 2001 i came back the next year and did bush pilot i mean v8's a little bit more of a big deal in 2001 than it's yeah. today let's 
just get that out of the way. Doing, I feel like maybe doing Bush Pilot in 2002 was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, so that's sure. eight, 18 years ago. I, have you ever wow. seen uh, Frequent Flyers? Oh, yeah. Dude, there's that scene. So it's a climbing film with Obi and Boone as the duo, which is really interesting. But <laughs> there's this scene where they're in Europe and they were projecting some hard thing and Obi's just falling on it. Like, none, neither of them can do it. And then some European guy comes and, like, is just like, cruising it campusing yeah, yeah like yeah, he, he, yeah he just, they're in australia oh yeah there's yeah. australia okay well either way i just like oh, there, there's a shot yeah, of yeah, boone yeah. and obi both just like what is that fuck right. <laughs> like, what? yeah that <laughs> actually it's funny you bring that up because that reminds me of <laughs> like we got to tour james litz around rocky mountain national oh, park in yeah. 2003 oh, and it, he was like yeah i've climbed like v10 v11 <laughs> and these it turns out that these things were way undergraded yes, yeah yeah and the things that I saw him do, I've never <laughs> seen another climber repeat them. I mean, it's like unbelievable feats of physical strength. And he just did every, it was like, well, this is clearly not hard for you, any of this. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> but that's like a kind of a really awesome memory from early Rocky Mountain National yes. Park. Let's talk about Litz for a second. What was his vision? He wanted climbing to be really painful. <laughs> Like he was the like, holds? what gets oh. me excited is when it's really painful. And oh I want to grab on the worst, smallest possible hold I can grab. And I want it to hurt bad. Oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> so, but regardless, the reason I, I say it like that is it's a vision. Yeah. It's, it's, he had a really different idea. Like, do you ever hear anyone say no. anything like that? I, no. I always heard that Fred Nicole had like really high pain tolerance. Yeah, uh, he I'm did sure. some, he's done some really painful or like Amandla and Monkey Wedding are both notoriously right. sharp. And he's and... huge. He's a big dude. <laughs> you know? He's a big dude. Yeah, Litz is in, uh, unbelievable. I saw him take a small campus rung with three fingers, open hand it, and just statically curl it into a <laughs> crimp. Just like this, and then just yeah, crimp it. And is... then just do a one arm pull up. I've never seen anyone be able to. I'm, you know, maybe there's someone out there that can do that. But it, in 2003, that was mind blowing. No, yeah. Well, it's that's... just, a, I, I ask because this isn't the first time any of us have heard this shit about James Litz before. He's such a mythical character. Yeah, we climb with him all summer. In like this <laughs> century's uh, climbing story. Totally. And he's just, you know, he does something and. Two years later, it kind of surfaces to the media. It's like, that's a Litz project. Yeah. Graded up by two grades. And then he just disappeared and yep. living with his kids and wife. He, and Yeah. he. So he, we're, we were kind of like, I don't think he knew how good he was. He just heard that there were these V14s in Colorado. Yeah. And he was like, I want to see yeah, what, if I can do one of them. And then he just, it was like, I remember the first day we took him up there. I was there with Caps and because Caps knew James from... Uh, the South and they had climbed together in the South. And James is like, Brian was like, this guy, I've never seen this before. He's like, <laughs> I've never seen anyone do this. He's like, it is unreal. He's going to destroy this place. Cause I saw Dave climb on these problems and it's not the same. Wow. And he did, he proceeded to just do everything. And yeah, it was, it was, it was absolutely crazy. And we were kind of like, dude, you are, <laughs> you're like, you're like at a world-class standard. We had to like yeah. be like, you You have to see this, right? Like you just did everything. And he was like, okay, I think I get it. And then he was like, <laughs> he. I think he thought he was 
going to pursue professional climbing. And he went to Switzerland. He did dream time yeah. really fast. That's insane. Really amazing ascent at the time. Yeah. And then I think he was just like, I don't think I want to be involved in even, which is crazy because climbing is so yeah, gross now. Yeah, now it's crazy. And he was like, it's too much. I just, I don't, I'm just going to go get a job and just be a person. And that's so James, like. That's, that's so He's unique. just like a real person. And he was just like, you know what? I, I, I get that I have this ability and I like climbing, <laughs> but I don't, I don't want, want the spotlight. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want it to be my life. I want to just you know, get married and have a kid. I'm real curious about that. We have a couple of people in our world right now in Colorado who mm -hmm. are exactly like that. Griffin Whiteside. Ty, yeah. Ty Landman also he, kind of stepped away. Ty Landman a little bit, uh, he though he certainly away. pursued yeah. it pretty hardcore for a while. And then Isabel, you know? Yeah. I mean, Griffin, ridiculous. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, he's one of the strongest boulders in, in the America. World. In the world. In the world. He and he's really just is. an he's just an accountant at kilter right well yeah though there was he did that he did like a, he put up a v15 traverse on that boulder in coal creek right and then daniel woods posted like did this griffin whiteside boulder took me eight days right and you're like oh my god like if it takes daniel woods that many days it's pretty hard and it just goes to show <laughs> that like you don't need to be an instagram yeah. goon to be really good. They're mutually exclusive, actually. Like, yeah. Griffin is phenomenally talented. I'm sure he will go on to do more incredibly hard boulder problems and first ascents. And he doesn't have any social media presence. He has a 27 Cracks account. Yeah. No sponsors. <laughs> no Refuses spon all sponsorship. Yeah. And he's a nice guy. He, like, most importantly, he's like a really genuine, nice person to be around. And like, it just shows that you don't, like, there's people that are not as good as him that are like jerks to be around. Yeah. And it's like, you can be really strong and it doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, he's just a wonderful person. As far as I can tell, as every interaction I've had been with totally pleasant i reached out to him for the guidebook he would give me like the accountant's yeah. list of like on this day here's the boulder problem i did here's the starting <laughs> holds this is i thought it could be this great or this great like super detailed of every single first ascent he did like amazing that's awesome wow super helpful incredible. i just I, i'd Griffin's, love to dig into their dig into like james litz's and griffin's and isabel's minds just see what causes them to shun all of that so social media which does give you, you know, like a dopamine hit. Totally. If, if you do it right. I'm fucking does it to me sometimes. But it's so curious how they have this mental shield to block the urge to share like their right. victories. Right. That's so fucking amazing. I think they're probably aware of everything and they just don't want to be a part of it. You know, yeah. they, they think yeah, it's for sure. whatever we think it's gross. They think it's gross too. And they're like, you know, I'm just not going to participate in this because I don't have to. Yeah. And Griffin's like, I'll get a job and I can go climbing all the time. And I mean, he's a responsible person, it seems like. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, getting a job for like the best hold shaper in the world is a pretty good way to get out and climb when and you want like to. it seems like they give him time to travel and climb. Oh, is, totally, you know? totally. But he they fucking created love that, him. Right. He created that for himself. So it's yeah. not like other people can't create things for themselves Yeah, as totally. Well. He's an accountant, man. Right. right. <laughs> you could do it. I mean, I work at a huge corporation yeah. and I still, I only work four days a week. So, you know, I have time to climb, get out. You get out not, as much as you used to? No. Not even close. <laughs> I'm tired from work. It's yeah. exhausting, but I certainly haven't stopped looking for boulders or going on trips. I mean, I've been pursuing that pretty consistently. Yeah. You know? I used to see you out a bit more. I think the last time I saw you out was... Moulin Rouge last totally. fall. Yeah, totally. 
where we talked, we had a conversation about something we should talk about right now. What do you got? Do you remember the hour long conversation me and you and Amy, right? Yep. Had about sponsorship and how maybe a way, because we, we all know that climbing is white, privileged, and in most cases, vaguely well off. Absolutely. Right? Certainly not me, but most, I have it better than most, though. Um, and we were talking about tying um, advocacy work to sponsorship programs. So if a, a professional athlete is sponsored, if the entire industry got on board from La Sportiva to fucking Teva, you right. know what I mean? They said, okay, we are going to give you all this free gear. We're going to give you your stipends. We're going to give you your travel money and your comp money. However, once every three months, you have to go do something for your community, whether it be advocacy, trail building, and you can share it on your social media and you can do whatever you want with it. You can right. make yourself the hero, right? but you have to do that four times a year and you have to log it and you have to verify it with us. It's unbelievable. It seems like maybe I know. So I'll say this because I know Paul Sacco at Friction Labs. He does value that, and he is trying to promote those types of behaviors. And I just want to shout out to Paul because he's a great guy. Shout out Paul. Shout out Paul. Paul. We saw him in Moulin Rouge that same day. We did. He sent. Uh, but I agree with you completely that it blows my mind that it's not at the core of a sponsorship, land advocacy doing cleanups. It's like pulling teeth to get professional climbers to come out to the Lincoln Lake cleanup. And that just blows my mind. Yeah. They're always, Oh yeah, I couldn't make it that day. I had something else going on. And it's like, that is such BS. It's like, <laughs> you're, a this is, you're a professional climber. <laughs> all you do is take time to do what you want to do all the time for yourself. You can't take one day and do something for this sport that has given all this to you. It's insane. And it should be, they should just want to do it, period. But if they don't, whatever, the company should ask them to do it and it should be an integral part of their sponsorship. That is exactly what I'm saying. So I don't give a shit if they, whoever doesn't want to do advocacy, stu advocacy stuff, I've been there. Right. I yeah, haven't totally. wanted to get out of bed that day either. However, these guys and gals are at the spear front of what we see in climbing. They're in the magazines. They're selling the product. Right. They're at the areas we go to. You know, this is an NBA basketball. We aren't like playing a pickup <laughs> game with Jordan, but we are fucking climbing with like the world's best climbers right. on any random day. So what if they don't want to do it? Pay them to do it. Make it a part of their sponsorship. And, and it's imperative that if you want to get paid and we're happy to do it, you're going to go do these four things every year. And what that does is it, it creates a culture, culture from people who we trust and admire where it'll create uh, a desire to go out and emulate the behaviors of a Daniel Woods. Absolutely. Or it'll cause more people to come to these events or to get involved <laughs> with advocacy because right. the opportunity to, you know, I get, oh my God, Chris Sharma is going to be there. Maybe I can just see him or Sasha DeJulian is going to be there. You know, that's amazing. She's an advocate in her own right as well. But I just don't fucking get it. Why aren't these companies doing that? Isn't that weird? That's I mean, a, it, it boggles my mind that, you know, we have these areas and we have to protect them. We have yes. to. When we are the advocates, we can be the advocates. 
And those people who are benefiting, making literally making a living off of the fact that these area, these public lands exist, should be the number one advocates <laughs> for our access to these public lands. Correct. And it's like pulling teeth to get them to show yeah, up at a cleanup. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you guys saying this is like really highlighting it in my mind. Like I didn't even think about the fact that yeah like why is it <laughs> i fucking think about it all the time like at or an outdoor retailer I, from the first time i went to or in 2001 i've always thought why don't all these companies have a meeting with like the access fund and the aac and the land conference conservation and sierra club and somebody says hey we have an idea about an industry-wide sponsorship program that we would like to interest you guys in rejiggering and just bring it up and see how it plays. Right. Because it is a, it's a win for the athlete that they get to go out and have those experience, also conserve their areas or help in advocacy and stewardship, whatever they're going to do, or just have clinics or whatever for mm -hmm. uh, inner city youth or something like that. Yeah, there's a, I mean, that's a whole other thing that we could be reaching out to other people who are not going to obviously be exposed to climbing and introduce them yeah. to climbing. Kevin. I've, yeah. Shouts to Kevin. Um, Kevin Jorgensen. Jorgensen. Yeah. It seems like he has made some strides in that and that's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know every single thing that's going on. So there may be people that are doing things that I'm not mentioning. Surely or, are. Like, yes. I don't know the every single contract between every single athlete and every single company, but it does seem like there could be more oh, advocacy yeah. for Absolutely. these areas because these are the areas that are, you look at the South, I feel like the Southeast does a generally a good job of, they have the Southeast Climbers Coalition. They do a great job of being like, hey, you need to be a part of this organization. In the front range, it's like pulling teeth to get people to like participate in something and there are organizations that we have to save these places for if you want to go climbing yeah. they're just going to go away they can just shut them down that's, yeah. that's scary especially it should be even more scary if you're making your living i make my living with a company that has nothing to do with climbing if you are making your living off of climbing you should be terrified that they can just shut down the places that you that are like allowing you to make a living i agree and just uh Man, seeing all, like, there would be an army of professional climbers figuring out how they want to spend their four advocacy yeah. weekends or days. Think of all the good they could do and all of the inspiration right. that that would lead to for a normal Joe like me sitting on the computer and I get uh, a Twitter feed from La Sportiva that says like, hey, read this article, uh, Tommy, well, Tommy Caldwell does plenty. Yeah, you're, he does Tommy, <laughs> keep up the good work and maybe take a rest every now and again. <laughs> Tommy, you're the man. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, uh, fucking who can I think of? Megan Martin went out and did blibbity blop. Mm -hmm. And then over here you have a badass trad climber and a badass alpinist. And there are a lot of people doing great stuff out there. I just... Having some sort of, we are such an outdoor, we are not football. Right. Somebody else mows the fucking lawns right. on the football field. Somebody else sprinkles yeah, the water. Our we, arenas magically are wild, wild wilderness areas and national parks and the most beautiful places in the world. Yes. Are, that's our arena. And every footfall is impact. Right. So if we can help mitigate that impact and just like create a culture of conservation and stewardship and advocacy for the arena of our passion, right? Just the outdoors. And yeah, I get it. I have a full-time job. It's not always easy to make time it for this not, stuff. For it's sure. hard, but yeah, show up, show up one day at a cleanup. And like you said, the, these athletes should be 
they should absolutely be there advocating it's not hard if you post 10 times about 10 boulder problems or routes that you climbed to take one and be like, hey, I went to a cleanup or hey, I helped me with a ranger or I, you know, we worked on, we did some trail building. It's not hard. Yeah, take one. Fucking spray <laughs> about it, dude. Right. Spend a week promoting yourself shockingly, because that is good self-promotion right, right. shockingly people might actually think that looks pretty cool like i can wait till tomorrow to see the next fucking another v15 that you did or whatever right it's right. all good we'll, we'll appreciate that too or but the next hangboard workout you did oh fuck man <laughs> or the next cabinet you've traversed oh, across during God. the pandemic Right. I'm fucking sick of it, man. Right. Sprinkle in a little bit of advocacy in there. It should be for all of us, though. Right. You know, every single one of us. But the professional athletes are the people who, especially entry level and young climbers, or, or you know, people who are getting into the sport. That's our Mount Rushmore, man. Right. That's who people look to. Totally. Totally. Right. I'm glad we all agree on that. <laughs> now, 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 who do we talk to? I'm just silent. This I'm, I'm just silently sitting here and thinking about like, holy shit, I have done a terrible job of being a climbing advocate slash good climber. But like, it's okay. Like true. you're psych. Like people are psyched. They want to. They're just like they're discovering it for the first time themselves. They're like going out. They don't like they don't even having the thought that like someone was here before me and found this area and yeah. you know they're like they're going through that process too. So they have to learn. Yeah. And. and but like having these conversations, getting that dialogue out there presents that as like trying to elevate the, that's exactly the, right. The dialogue of like, Hey, as climbers, we need to start stepping. We, we're not living in this world anymore. We're, we're weirdos under like sleeping <laughs> in a cave under a rock and no one cares. And we're just doing our own weird thing. We're part of a big community of outdoor recreationalists that need to have a voice. We're a part of a $650 billion industry. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, and just to caveat all of that, if you don't do that stuff, any advocacy, that has no bearing on your uh, usefulness or totally. value as a person. You're totally. fucking, we're all busy. I'm just saying, a little bit, a few Something more, a few more, about. yeah, a few more pros out there yeah. maybe could create uh, a healthier culture. I would also like to see, so, you know, I work for a corporation, a big corporation, top 500 corporation in America. And we, there are, we do, and I did this in school as well, where we did uh, corporate social responsibility advocacy things. And so the company is always looking for ways to do corporate social responsibility I don't know if you're in the business, you would know that that's a big part of being owning a business. I would love to see where are the gyms really stepping up to do corporate social responsibility to advocate for you are creating all these climbers who know nothing about climbing and are going out and acting like idiots out in these wilderness areas. And you need to take it on as a corporate social responsibility activity huge. to educate people. Yeah. You this just, is a, this is Dave's. I have uh, <laughs> stood on this soapbox many, me. many, many fucking times. However, I do believe that the lion's share of gym owners are like, and the CWA and all of these oversight industry, uh, oversight, um, what entities are like really trying to wrap them their heads around building a gym to crag, crag etiquette, um, there are no such thing as mentors in climbing anymore. That's right. another thing that has died since 
in our time right, of climbing. Totally. When I came up, there are mentors everywhere. You just went with somebody. You needed to talk to somebody to you be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you please show me how to place a nut in this crack? Yes, there was no YouTube. Right. You either got freedom <laughs> of the hills, you learned it right, on your own, totally. or you fucking found a mentor. That right. was that was it. Yeah. Um, I think the it seems to me in the zeitgeist kind of blowing around out there, the gyms are invested in figuring it out and it it seems like a complicated issue how right. do you force your etiquette onto in fucking the united states of america freedom bring in daniel woods as a sponsorship program to advocate for hey guys when you're gonna i'm daniel woods i'm the strongest climber <laughs> yeah. in the world let me tell you about how the way to do proper climbing you're gonna stay on the trail have him go in the gym and give a slideshow it's true. and it's talk about tr- it that would something. have an impact I I mean, it would 100 have people an impact. would show up because it's daniel yeah. or whoever and and they would listen to him. Yeah. So I think there are opportunities. I don't, you know, maybe it's not going to be perfect, but no doing one's, nothing doing does, nothing doesn't, doesn't, help. doesn't I always, help. I always thought if the gyms uh, could build a united front. Right. So they're, okay, so there's no, I'm going to uh, talk about a plan that would never work, but let's say in a perfect world, this would work. But if the gyms created this united front where you could not escape what I'm about ready to explain. Because if you go to gym A, got to do it there. Mm-hmm. If you go across town to gym B, oh, I'm sorry. That's it's all gyms in America do this mm-hmm. now. When you are a new climber and it's your first time buying a pass or not buying a pass, buying a membership, you have to sit down for a 15-minute presentation. And it can be Daniel Woods in a fucking video right? or whoever their uh, most well-spoken advocate is, whoever it is out there, Tommy Caldwell, mm-hmm. um, who knows, whoever it is. And you have to sit there and whether you pay attention or not, I don't fucking care, but you have to watch this 15-minute Jim to Craig outdoor etiquette seminar. Right. And it's, and it's But the, the hitch would be is that if you hate that and you don't want to do that, then baby – you ain't going to the gym. <laughs> You're not fucking because every gym in America has that. Like that's a solution. It's some. It's, it's a pain it, in the ass right. and it's fucking like Stalinist. But but you know. I mean, Dave. So I spend. I've have a new one of my. I have a kind of a burgeoning interest in just American archaeology, and so I've been spending time looking at. Like I've spent quite a bit of time in what was the former Bears Ears National Monument, just exploring what we have as a cultural history in the United States. Cause it's unbelievable. My opinion is fascinating. So I've been going out to these areas that, um, you know, I've never visited before and I had to sit down and watch a video. Someone's like, Hey, you are going into a really sensitive yes. area. Yeah. You need to come in. You need to fill out these permits. You need to agree to all these things and you need to sit down and watch a video. There and you go. I'm an interested learner, so I'm going to watch the video, but at least you're getting people exposed. It's like yeah. Waco tanks. People have to watch those videos I, to be like, you are going into a culturally sensitive area. Yes. And we're going in now. Certainly Lincoln Lake is probably not a culturally sensitive area, but it is a sensitive, sensitive area. area. Yeah ecologically or in terms of the wilderness yeah. aspect. And so, yeah, I mean, and, trying to educate just something. Well, and, and I think <laughs> yeah. that hits on the point that I think a lot of bad things that climbers do, I think it comes from a place of ignorance less so than maliciousness. It's totally, where totally it's, agree. You literally, I, 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 you, yeah, you go into absolutely. a gym, there's thousands of people, you just start bouldering and the person who ends up taking you out also just started bouldering. And right. so you're learning ethics and 
you know, just like what we're talking about mentorships from someone who also is just kind of winging it. So like they didn't never had that base of information. That's totally. a really fucking good point because we sound like a bunch of self-righteous assholes. <laughs> the truth, the truth is though, this nobody, very few people are being malicious. Right. And I agree. ignorant is a word that sucks to use, but it, we're all ignorant about all kinds of shit. Right. It's okay to be, I don't know all the ins and outs of all the rules at Rocky Mountain National Park. I don't know no. all the ins and outs of all the rules of the Arapaho National Forest. But you're trying to pinpoint them. Right. That's the only thing we can do is try to improve our ignorance. And going back to our conversation about the guidebook, one of the things that I, I agree that mentorship has kind of died, <clears throat> but one of the things that I can do as a guidebook author is try to be a mentor to a wide audience yeah. by saying like, hey, this is how things are done in a wilderness bouldering setting. Mm -hmm. This is how things are done in a national park bouldering setting. Educating people, like I can't talk to everyone, but I can put all that information. I can put as much in Fred Knapp, amazing sharp yeah. end publishing, super Ooh, supportive uh, of my efforts to like, Hey, I want to try to get all this information out there and, and mentor as best I can and educate as best I can. Yeah. So try to practice what I'm preaching. So, man, <laughs> that gets me riled up, dude. I know. <laughs> we gotta I know. Say, I'm glad you said that thing about, uh, no maliciousness. Yeah. You're was... absolutely right. Fidi. that people are not there. They're, good and they have good intentions yes. they want they're excited they like climbing they want to go it's just that the the process by which people are introduced to climbing yeah. has changed so radically that yeah and it, it it doesn't fucking help that like like we're talking about some of the people who are are like representatives of the sport themselves are behaving in ways that would not be considered like the correct ethical way, you right. know, like pa pad stashing. Like I, I see pros pad stashing all, the, all time. the time. And then that's literally is like, well, if they're fucking doing it, right. Like why, why not? Cause you're too weak, dude. You have to be I know, you're way, right. way stronger. <laughs> I, I think it, it's just this like pervasive selfishness. That's like, I'm not, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And like you say, you know, a lot of these people, I think they think they know that they're known, but, it's like you walk by whoever and you're like, I know exactly who that is. I know everything <laughs> they did. I know yeah. what they ate for dinner last night because I saw it on their Instagram yeah. story. And so you are, you're, and you're like, and I'm also noticing that you don't have a crash pad and I'm not yes, stupid exactly. because I know that you are I, like wheeling past Lake Hayaha. Dude, <sighs> you're going to- I get so annoyed, man, hiking up there and like someone someone walks by me, they have a little backpack on, they have Scarpa approach shoes, right. like, Prana shirt, Prana Mojo shorts. It's like, yeah, man, you're just you're just hiking up here, man. What's going? On? <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but I, I uh, countless times I've been hiking out of RMNP, hiking out of Chaos. It like right is kind of it's the gloaming, right? Mm -hmm. Still a little bit of sunlight. Right. You're gonna hit the end of the trailhead right when it's dark. That's how we always timed it. I saw so many fucking pro climbers, so many people that we all know who've been on the cover of magazines hiking up right. with a backpack and two lanterns. Right. And I'm just like, I, and I will say this. I will, let me be the first to say that I stash pads in for in Rocky Mountain National Park for a long time. Cause it was different. Things were fine. There were yeah. 10 people that were going there. The Rangers didn't really know what was going on. And my, the way I perceive what's going on has changed. My views have changed on this stuff. It's it, and it's evolved. It's evolved the over time. The times have changed. The times have changed absolutely. And like I think it's important to be like, 
someone could be like, oh, I saw Jamie hike up yeah. there in 2008 without a pad. Absolutely. You did see me there. And I was stashing my pad. I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't, but I will say that like my, my view on this stuff is, is like ever changing, Well, it's, you know? And, and I think what else can we do? Like, I'm just learning. I yeah. don't, we're all learning. We're all learning. We're all learning about Alpine bouldering and we're all learning like, Oh, wait a second. You don't have yes. to, you can like, maybe you can leave your pad here. Oh, it gets chewed by marmots. We're learning that now. And now, Ooh, the ranger found it. He doesn't like that. We're learning that now. Yes. So it's ever changing. And now instead of five people here, there's 500 people. That's the ticket. That's the point. When there are 10 of you and you have a couple pads and nobody is learning your fucking bad lessons that you're exemplifying because you don't even know it's bad. But when you have five hundred right. people visiting in a weekend oh god more than that maybe at rmnp yeah. in the height of summer that's an example you cannot afford to relay anymore right you you, you have to suck it up and take one on the chin and just be like there was a time when i could stash pads and i'm not hurting anything it's going to be okay i can't do that now there are too many people right well and i think i think also importantly just the fact that you're willing to acknowledge like and accept the change, you know? I think, like, that's, that's, I, anyone who stashes pads knows that they probably shouldn't be stashing pads. Of course. But it's such an easy, like, mental argument you can make where, like, ah, oh, like, really? Am I hurting stuff? And, like, also, I, you know, it's really hard to carry those pads. Yeah. They would, the know, thing that, I think you're exactly right, Feedy. And the thing that, uh, those people who stash pads, um, like, all the time don't get, is that they aren't fuck you didn't magically put a spell on them to make them invisible like i see them and when i see them it caught like i i see them at lincoln lake most especially right in the crevices shoved down into holes right and i fucking walk by it and it like ruins a bit of my day it's like man i'm at lincoln lake because look and look <laughs> this isn't a fucking urban landscape i don't want to see refuse and detritus and that whole that same mentality of being oh hello that same mentality of being lazy to even hike the pads are in mm-hmm. is what leads to the pads being left behind because someone's like ah right <laughs> like oh, it'd be kind of hard to like just drive up there just to get a pad so the I mean, crazy Car- thing Carlo it can't be laziness though because these people are fucking hiking everywhere it has to have <laughs> something to do about feeling entitled <laughs> yeah entitlement absolutely i think the other thing too is that like obviously i mean people are going to stash people are going to be like screw jamie he's ridiculous i don't want to i mean sure of course i'm I'm going to do whatever i want i my v14 project is more than what is more important than his dumb guidebook or whatever sure i absolutely i expect (laughs) people to feel that way for sure but what i would say is that if you are going to be this person you know maybe not just post on your instagram story they're like hey everyone my stash pad got stolen yes, uh, yes. And I'm like, ah. that's the dumbest thing I've- <laughs> if you are going to be a pad stasher and you, you gotta just willfully break the rule you know willfully break the rules and you don't care maybe not advertise it like even have the thought that like you don't have to post an instagram oh, story about this Dude. like those kinds of things are like People are watching. You have done everything you can to get people to watch. So they are watching. And And when you're like, I don't give a shit about whether or not I stash pads or whatever. And then you just advertise it to everyone. Yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. (laughs) I mean, if you stash pads, when they're fucking sitting out in a wilderness area, Uh, hey man, the hunt is on. Remember the, I mean, we were talking a little bit about how ethics are different too in different areas. So Mm -hmm. for example, in I believe in Switzerland, 
or under the, like near the Dreamtime Boulder. I don't really know too much about that area, mm-hmm. but like apparently it's okay to stash pads, but at the same time, like they're like it gets to the point where they're they're chaining their pads underneath right. the boulder so they don't get taken by other people and then i don't know i don't know what group of climbers did this but someone like spray painted dicks on a bunch of uh, oh, oh i just saw that <laughs> hey you leave your stuff out you're kind of leaving it out uh, for you know you get the responsibility for your stuff i got a story about um these stash pads and by the way we're talking a lot about something really minute yes. like stashing pads but what we're really talking about is responsibility is being entitled right yes. and to think that you have some sort of fucked up ownership of a wilderness area that's what we're really talking about that we're using because your project is somehow more, more supersedes the right. the beauty of the natural landscape right. or a poor little marmot's health um <laughs> So I was out in Bishop. I mean, I'm out there every year, but when uh, I spent the winter out there, when the process went down Mm -hmm. and fucking watched it all happen from my campsite, it was great. But for years before that, um, a climber had been trying it in that year. So you don't stash pads in Bishop. That's one of the things you don't do. (laughs) Obviously you fucking just hike there underneath the process or under. Yeah. Uh, so Grandma Peabody, mm-hmm. or is it Grandpa? It's Grandma, uh, I think. I don't fucking Grandpa know. Grandpa Peabody? It's one of our grandparents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there was a stack taller than me, probably like 12 pads, and two ladders, and a stick brush that the climbers would leave under the pad, or under the rock, every single night, stacked high. Right. And so they don't climb during the daylight hours. On the process. So those fucking pads and ladders and bullshit. How, it's the first thing you see right, from the road. How far is it off the road? Like 100 like yards? 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah, less than 100 yards, I bet. It's like but it's right the first there. thing you see when you drive to the right. Happies is yeah, the, the process face. Right. Totally. Um, and I think... The buttermilks, you said Happies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the buttermilks. Right. Um, and I think some of his pads got stolen. Yeah, it doesn't And there was me. a big like hubbub about fucking where are my pads going. I was just like, dude, <laughs> like I really like this guy, but I was also like, what the fuck are you thinking? Right. You're camping there. Like, so does that mean I can leave my six pads underneath fucking Pope's prow? Right. A, a little V6, or I can leave my pads under Flyboy because it's scary right. and I don't want to have to hike up to that area, or I can leave mine in, in the pollen grains. Here's, Are you kidding me? I, I totally agree, Dave. And that, here's the thing. Here's another thing I think is really is like lost is you're like, I like this person. They're a great person. Oh, yes. They're not like perfect. No. They, they, did some, they did something I don't like, but I like them. They're a nice person. That's a totally normal human response to a, another person. Like this person is generally great. They did something I don't like, but that's okay. You know, that's fine. And I yeah. feel like in our cancer, cancel culture, cancel culture in our Instagram culture, there are these instances where it's like you, if you don't like I, someone did something I don't like, and then it's like, you hate them and they're going to be canceled and they're done. And right. I'm like, you can, you can, someone can do something where I'm like, eh, I didn't like that. They did that. I didn't like how they use that screwdriver on that hold. I didn't like that they stashed <laughs> that pad, but it doesn't mean I'm going to, I hate you and I'm not going to be your friend or I'm not going to talk to you. It's just, I just did something I didn't yeah. like. And that's okay. Like, I don't, I feel like that's lost. Like somehow if, 
if I'm critical of some, if I'm like, yeah, I think it starts a little bit lower. If I write that comment, then somehow I'm like sheriff, sheriff, <laughs> and they're the I'm the devil, and I will they won't even look at me anymore. And it's like, are we really I, not able to have a conversation and understand that like, you know, everything you do, like I know I'm an opinionated person. I'm certain that everything that I do, people don't like, but that's okay. I don't not. You know, I, I'm like, well, I feel like I'm well-intended and I want to like people and want things to be nice. So it's like, we, it's okay. I don't dude, know. I think yeah. it's more complicated. Everyone's been in that position too, yeah. where you see someone doing something that you th- hold to be, you know, wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you, you kind of just, yeah, you don't do you say respond? anything because you're like, this is like a really good friend of mine. And, and like, I'm worried about damaging. Right. <laughs> and like, and that's kind of. Are you trying to tell me something, dude? And Dave, I just, Dave. I'm just trying to tell you that I'm sick of your shit. No, I mean, even last night, literally last night, I was talking with someone and I was talking about how annoying it is that people are like getting passed on the trail by people who are clearly stashing pads up there. And he's like, I have a pad stashed up there. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, well. I fucking brought that up knowing that Jamie right. had stash pads up there. I right. know that. I, every, almost yeah. everybody. And you bring up a really good point. Like the guy I'm talking about, like I truly respect this person totally. and they are nothing but a good person absolutely but it's just like you know we need to reflect on our decisions a little bit it's okay to have someone give you like feedback <laughs> i mean yeah. ultimately it's like it's okay it should be okay to be in yes. a world where you're like hey and that was part of the mentorship as well where you That's got right. feedback yes. like hey boy uh don't step off on the plant there off the trail and like oh i didn't know i've never climbed here before they're like, yeah, that's how we do it. That's the role of the mentor to kind of impart those kinds of things. We don't have that anymore. And so it's. I feel like these kids are like, a lot of times it's like, they're just so immune or so like shattered. If there's, it's just feedback. It's like, it's not. Well, it also comes like, so we're talking about mentors. They're gone. What is replace mentors? Social media, learning online, blah, blah, blah. What happens when you get a giant group of people who are pissed off? They become a mob. So all the feedback <laughs> that people get is like fucking mob mentality. Right, so yeah. it's re- and that's where it cance- that's where cancel culture comes from. And while we were talking about that, I was reflecting on the first person to be canceled in climbing. And do y'all think it was Ivan Green? To- oh man. My first my gut re- reaction well, is yes, but I don't know he if was, was motherfucking canceled yeah he was he's was was someone else maybe I, I try to think back to the bolting wars or nobody got canceled in those, right though. they didn't really well as far as i know they didn't maybe there was someone in yosemite I, my yosemite history is like there but not as robust as it could be yeah i don't know if those guys considered it i feel like people like warren harding were kind of like bastards and they but they were just like but i'm still here and you're gonna have to deal with me i'm drunk and i'm bolting my way up el cap and i mean that whole have... generation of sport climbers to come up with all of the trad guys out you know well, going, yeah, like tony going... yanero talked about how he literally stopped climbing because he was so sick of the weird toxicity between yeah like wanting this bolt yeah the ivan green thing was but i think ivan was the right. first one that was like, like lost his counselor. business lost his career totally. and it was it was um Lost all of his sponsorship. Man, I mean, no whether that was that. whether he deserves yeah. it he or was, not, he was chipping, right? He, he chipped the fuck out of he, the boulder. The yeah. story that I understand is that basically he was chipping. They had confronted him about chipping. They, they said, had. "Hey, Ivan, you gotta stop. This is not okay." 
and he wouldn't stop. And so they basically snuck out in the woods in the bushes, in with, the the bushes camcorder. with the camcorder and caught Holy him shit. in the act of like manufacturing a pocket. And then after he left, they went up and like, here's the pocket that he like clearly just cleared. And then they didn't talk to him and they posted it on dead point. Yeah. And Holy they just dropped fuck. it. And they're when like, dead point was like a huge yeah. Uh, yeah. video platform at the time. And he was just, bashing away and like it's interesting because you know cleaning off rock to climb on is normal. super is totally normal yeah. number one and, it's, and there's a lot of gray area as oh to what's God, acceptable yes. yeah. and I, it depends on the things that are acceptable in rifle where people have just <laughs> obliterated the crag this is something that no one ever talks about that people just like drill rifle they just make holds they break off holds. rifle is weird and it's for some reason, weird... it's just like, fine. No one cares. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why it's acceptable there. And maybe I just don't understand the rock well enough or something that, that those kind <laughs> of ethics are acceptable. Maybe someone can educate me on that. But the things that are acceptable in rifle are unacceptable in Fontainebleau completely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like, why is that? I think that's an interesting question it to is. address. Well, yeah. I mean, look no further it's than uh, ethics, Ten man. Sleep too. Oh, oh god yeah there you go there's there's that is the like that that clash totally came to a head there out there with just like it's okay to completely manufacture walls no it's not okay to do that at all and, and then the roots <laughs> got filled in right i mean yeah they filled in got, um oh, what a mess well my uh big, big mess my partner morgan was um down there last summer and she tried to root and then came back the next or a couple weeks later and she went up to her route that she was trying and it was just gone because wow. she didn't realize and she didn't realize it was like a, <laughs> oh, a manufactured route you know and so it was just filled in. it was just it was like there was like a oh red bolt gosh. on it and it was completely yeah. filled red padlock in. right yeah so it's just like oh that is gone now i have a story uh that may edify this a little bit that i learned like the ethics thing so i was in korea right mm -hmm. and i basically went up went to korea just to put up first ascents and that's what we did for two years and it was fucking great awesome um so we're out at one of the areas called insubong where we're putting up oh, yeah. just boulder on boulder on boulder every single weekend leave seoul go to the national park put up climbs all day for two days um and me and my buddy are warming up and i have a project there that was probably out of my pay grade it was probably going to be a v11 or v12 which I, I don't climb at um but i was trying really hard and making good progress on it and it's this overhanging wave cave kind of like stuck you couldn't really see where it was but it was beautiful and um so me and my buddy are warming up getting ready to go work on the project and we hear this <laughs> it, it's obviously like metal on rock right and i was like what is that what the fuck is that? And we understood that it was somebody chipping. So we fucking put on our approach shoes, ran to where <laughs> the sound was, turned the corner into the cave. And there is one of the strongest professional climbers at the time, mm -hmm. fully sponsored in South Korea, chipping all the footholds off of my project, like wow. making new footholds. <laughs> did and you, it, how, and, how and did his, that go? And his girlfriend yeah. is recording, recording him with her phone right well i i was i didn't i spoke a decent i spoke like get around korean right mm -hmm. like i could be dropped off anywhere and find my way home i didn't speak conversational very well but in korean i was like why are you doing this that is my rock climb mm -hmm. um i am trying blah 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 
just try, and he was shocked first of all that this white dude just rolled around right. the corner and is like screaming at him because I was f- fucking irate. Right. Yeah. He he had already ruined my project. Wow. It, it was gone and is gone to this day. Um. And he just said, uh, in his halting English, he's like, "Hey, there's no footholds. This climb is impossible." And I somehow made it known. I'm like, I have been working on this thing for two months. It is not impossible. It is going to go. I have like six more months in this country to finish this thing off. Right. And uh, he just kind of shook his head and and kept chipping. And that's the first time I ever understood that, (laughs) yo, homie, this ain't my country. These aren't my ethics and I'm not the fucking boss here. Yeah. And I... I had to walk away totally heartbroken. We fucking packed up and left that day. We were just so sickened and disgusted, disgusted. But what it's, it slowly dawned on me that like, I have no ownership in this situation and I have no right to criticize what this man is doing in his country at an area he's probably been going to since he was 12 years old. Right. So I had to walk away from it. And some areas ethics are different than others. And really, we're just fucking blowing hot air criticizing that font still uses POF because right. that's their fucking decisions that their user group made. And in that, at that place in South Korea, he'd made a decision that this is how it's going to work in South Korea. Right. And after all these years afterwards, I'm like, Hey, that's fine. That's yours. That's not mine. It is really hard to it's very difficult when you try, especially when you travel to another country to be like, what you're doing is wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to come here from America. I'm a white dude. And I'm going to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. Yeah. Um, you have to just realize that every place has their own ethics and you also just have to really struggle and work and finally understand that like, that's okay. That's, that's okay. Like I have these impulses to want to have like across the board ethics. Like these are the rules and people are going to follow the rules. But also like, what do I know about tent sleep? I've never been there. I don't know what it's like there. I don't know what the rocks like. I don't know what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. I don't really know when people say chipping, that can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. That can mean like manufacturing a pocket with a drill or some people would see things that I th- would find completely acceptable and be yes. like appalled. Yeah. Yeah, and some people I, like, like comfortizing could be chipping, right? Or like removing a, a flake, um, which a, I which may be dangerous. Some people climb like grab holds that are just flexing, and I'm like, you're just gonna rip that hold off. Yeah, well, yeah. You should take probably it down just on your be fucking re- spotter, right? And I was there. Jimmy Webb and I were trying the Wheel of Chaos, and he was just basically trying to do it without really oh, cleaning yeah. it. Yeah, and he ripped off this hold and he cut his forearm. He had the hold in his hand and he dragged, he drugged the hold across his forearm, like a knife. Oh. And he just, it was heinous. It was it, the, the day went from zero to a hundred in two seconds because he fell and he's like, Oh, and he just holds his arm up and you can just see the muscle. Yeah. And it just blew oh completely, God. completely cut down completely. to like the fascia. That was, was Jimmy Webb. You Jimmy said? Webb. Yeah. yeah. There's a video oh, shit. There's of a photo. the day. There was a, Oh, maybe there is a video. There's they, a photo for sure that he took mm-hmm. in the ER. Cause the video, it cut, he's like trying it and then it cuts to black and then he's like in the ER. Oh wow! Okay. But they don't oh, they don't right. show that, that, they don't right. show like the was his, his muscle was like dude, sticking out. Was, it, 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 it was like you like the skin was like a mouth, and you could just see his like forearm muscle. Dude, he just I, he just fell, and we're yeah. like, oh, that sucks. He fell, and then he's like, 
Oh, and he like holds up this gore, you know, just a gore fest of like blood Dude, pouring out of his arm. Uh, it was really so crazy. Disgusting. I almost killed Bobby Benzman in Arizona <laughs> once with a flake that I took off at the Phoenix Dude. bouldering comp. And it was the size, a little bit under the size of this table. Oh, wow. She was spotting me. And oh, so it's like, and, and so it's like, do we, you know, yeah. safety should be. It seems That's like a big concern. it should be a big concern yeah. of like, is this safe? Is the climb safe? Are we going to just rip holds off the wall? That doesn't seem like appropriate. And then how does that lean into, like you say, comfortizing? Oh, there's a little spike here. It's a little yeah. sharp. God, if no, that I spike mean, just wasn't there, we just, you know, whittled it down. Yeah. It was like a nice comfy crimp or like actually drilling a pocket. That seems pretty it's aggressive. Area, yeah. There's so much gray area. And how do you, again, it gets into these, sometimes I feel like these entitled climbers who are the ones who are developing are like, I can do this, but like, it's not okay for you. Right. That's this also is, really tricky. This is what we need. This is a big thing. Uh, overarching, umbrellaing our, our whole conversation is that I feel like um, one thing in climbing is there are two standards. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are standards for <laughs> the elite level people right. that they don't share. And, you know, thank God to not make it any worse. But it is just, uh, we're an entitled sport. We're a bunch of fucking entitled people. You know, I would say this too, that that is absolutely going on, that there are, there's two standards, one for pro climbers who are entitled to do whatever they want. Yeah. And then there's this other standard for everyone else who's like trying to play by the rules and be nice. And the mainstream climbing media, whoever you want to say that is, no one is they're like we're all buddies and we're all friends and we're just we're I'm gonna advocate for looking the other way while this nonsense goes on, and I mean I I just think that's unfortunate. Here at Thundercling, buddy, <laughs> we're fucking not gonna cancel anybody. We're gonna call it out. The funny thing is, all the people I know, the people who do this, met them, talked to them, right. maybe had beers with them. I fucking love them. Right. I'm not telling anybody to like. Uh, change your life or like yeah. turn into a good person. Right. They're already good people. It's fucking disagreeing with how somebody right. behaves every now and again in the outdoor landscape. It isn't like you're like indicting them as an evil person. You're just like, Hey dude, I fucking have plenty of shit I need to work on with myself 100%. in every facet of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have something that I've noticed that you could work on. Like maybe think about stop doing a, B or C. Right. Jamie, and then you, we all play by the same rules. Have you ever caught someone shipping? Okay, I gotta go pee. In person? Back. No, <laughs> I have not. Colorado is uh, seems like it might be Dude, have. Some, somebody shipping is. Fun. Sounds really awkward. You do not want to be in that position. It's yeah. Shocking. Well, I, I take that back because there was. Yes, I have caught someone. I think they think they weren't chipping. Yeah. I thought they were chipping. And the reason I thought they were chipping is because the boulder problem had been climbed already. Yeah. And only really for that reason. Because I think once it's been climbed, it should be, it should left, be alone. left alone. Yeah. And that's why it's important to clean a boulder problem properly. Clean it. Yeah. Make it ready to go and then climb it. And then it shouldn't we shouldn't it be shouldn't taking keep breaking metal yeah. Yeah, tools yeah. to up a climb that's already been done. Um and I think I was not I think now I would absolutely have confronted them. I yeah. did not confront them at the time. Yeah. And that's like a failure on my part. I think it's, it's, it's like that. Um, I mean, that's, it's, I know exactly where you were coming from by not confronting them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's really, <laughs> it's really hard to do it in a way. And you know that they may not respond well. Yeah. And 
that's really, I mean, that's hard. And you're out there having, you're supposed to be having fun, right? Like yes. everyone's like, ultimately what we're doing is just enjoying ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So to get into some kind of ethical debate. Um, it is, it is funny about climbing, right? It's like the rules we make for climbing are so arbitrary and like, I mean, talking of controversy, you know, a few months ago when, um, Said. Ah, oh, right. That was when he, fascinating. When it was so interesting. Being called out for not for lying, basically, right? Basically lying. Yeah, he said he climbed Action Direct, and then the director had to, was in that position where he's like, "Dude, I, I just I have to say something because you're you're putting me in a spot where like you're incorporating me in this lie, and I right? just like do not believe this to be true." And so he like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that the whole thing of. Uh, of people lying and and the call out there there was a i feel like a call out culture prior to the internet yeah and it was people writing things in magazines writing letters to editors of magazines i don't know dave you remember louis anderson and the refiner's fire controversy louis claimed that he did a 14 this same guy that did 10 sleep chipping louis Louis anderson (laughs) and i I've met Louis once. He was great. Super nice guy. Um, I have nothing really bad to say about him, but he claimed they did his 14B. Um, another climber in California, Randy Levitt, was like, BS. Like, this is nonsense. Wrote a, and it was all letters to the editor. Oh my this God. was like the first, yeah. the first climbing, the first climbing. No. Yeah. That's how it was done back totally. in the day, man. And it's, it is, we're, we're, we're just talking about people like that, like a uh, Saeed Belhaj and that yeah. controversy about him. Yeah. People, some people saying he's lying, you know, I, I think there have always been liar liars in climbing always. Yeah. That's never like people. I, cause I felt that some people had lied about some things in Colorado and I was like, I don't, I, I think there's evidence to suggest that you're not doing what you're saying you're, you're doing. And I think it's fine. We should be able to have, we should be able to say that. I think that's okay. Fuck yeah. I mean, don't lie. And then other people are like, you can't say something because it's going to hurt their feelings. And I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that gives the person, you're enabling yeah. someone to, you could say that about Donald Trump. Oh, just don't, don't, you might hurt his feelings if you call him a liar. It's like, well, he's going to keep doing well, it. Well, that's a trick question because he doesn't have feelings. Dude, right? there, there was this legendary figure um, at Movement a few years ago. His name was George. I kind of forget his last name, but he. Which movement? He, he was at. I think he was at the Baker one, but he was also probably a Boulder. Okay. But this dude always came into the gym decked out only La Sportiva, everything. Mm-hmm. La Sportiva chalk back shirt, pants, shoe like approach shoes, and he'd always be like talking like these tall tales of how he was like <laughs> working these like hard double digit boulders on Lincoln Lake. He would post photos of himself like hanging on to like tattooed teardrops but then you'd see him climbing at the gym and you're like you can barely climb this v5 here like i don't right. understand what's it's going so on disparate. it's so it's so dis- you're like how can it be so different yeah. and like certainly people have bad days certainly people yeah, yeah. for sure but like i've just been there have been some people it, where i was like i <laughs> i i can't logically believe that you did what you said you did because i've seen you climb like yeah. 20 times and you're it's so different this and I set, you know, for I, yes, we, yeah. I, for a long time. And when you set competitions, you see people who are really good and you see them have bad days. Mm-hmm. And you also know, like I climbed with Daniel Woods for 10 years all the time, like three days a week. And then you set a comp for him and he, maybe he wins and you're like, yep, 
that was absolutely what I expected him to do. <laughs> or maybe he gets 20th or 30th. And you're like, how <laughs> did he not? Because I saw him yesterday yeah. do that V13, like in his tennis shoes. And then he can't do this V9. Like what? How? Yeah. But yeah. You, you see that, but you see all of that and you see with all the competitors and then you start to get a real, real deep grasp. I feel like for watching people climb and what they can do and what they can't do and what a bad day looks like and then you yeah. see someone else have a you're like yeah i've seen a lot of people climb yeah. and i've put holds on the wall for a lot of people and like i just th there's a dude disconnect. this guy this guy would always he, he would walk around he'd always be like yeah man you you want a pair of shoes man i can hook you up I'm sponsored like he was like town himself a sponsor he this guy literally gave paul robinson tried to spray paul robinson out for beta <laughs> underneath a, like a 45 like what like I think this happened at Evo Rockers or, or uh, Paul Robinson was struggling on a boulder and this guy's like, yeah, I did that the other day to Paul Robinson. It's like, come on, man. I love this guy. He's, he's dude, awesome. I think his name, <laughs> dude, George, if you're out there, I wonder if he's doing a social experiment. Right? And then he disappeared. Like fucking he's gone. On, he's on to the gone. next gym to build his legacy farther. Dude, right? It was like, who, who is this guy? George is a but touchstone it, right now doing exactly what you're describing. I just think it's nice to touch on the fact that there are, climbing has a culture of liars. Oh, sure. There have been liars. There will continue to yeah. be liars. I think it's a fascinating part of climbing. It is and I fascinating. I wish we could yeah, kind of but... like explore the <laughs> motivations and, you know, what compels someone to do that. Oh, it's all ego. It's all ego. I don't think we need to explore. Really? You think, I you think don't think people have other things delusions. going on? So I've known, I've, I don't have a lot of experience with this. Mm -hmm. I have known one person. Um, listen, I'm not going to say <laughs> who it is. I'm not, sure. I, I, there's no fucking way I'd say who it is. Cause I really like this right. person. Um, Tall but tales. I, I, I've known a liar. Right. And I have two. Like, confirmed liar. Someone that told me that they lied about something. Um, mine, I, I'm not going to go any farther than I've gone already <laughs> sure. because I, I don't want to. But um, it was all ego. Right. And it, it, it wasn't trying to bolster a strong ego. It was for himself, I think, you know, trying to repair maybe a, a fragile ego right. in a sport that he hadn't uh, built a legacy that he was yet proud of. Totally. So he thought the easiest way to do that, this is all conjecture. Right. Um, I imagine he thought the easiest way to do that is like, God, I got really fucking close on that boulder. Maybe I'll just help. Like, I'm sure I could do it next right. go. My skin's trashed. I'm going to just say I did it. And then this person got called out. And there's one other thing I guarantee that he regrets every fucking single thought about deciding to make that lie. Right. I guarantee it, right? right? But there's no taking it back. And right. you got to just, you, you'll die by your guns unless you're one of those rare birds who's like, fuck, you caught me. Like, right. I don't know what I, I was doing. Yeah, I was just I'm so sorry. I just I was kept digging really deeper. Day. It was really hard to come I'm out. I'm so weak. Yeah, I doubled down six different times. I'm sorry. I lied. I, I, I know someone who lied and like I called them on it and they're like, you got me. Wow. And you guys, I'm not going to name their name, but you would be blown away. You'd be like that person, like you would, it was someone who's a professional climber who you would never think you'd be like that person would never, like that wouldn't even cross your mind. They're like super high athlete. And they're like, I was like, this doesn't seem right. And they're like, I called it just like, I don't believe that you did this. And they're like, yep, you're right. I That's didn't do it. Why would they admit uh, it though? 
That's highly they were, respectable. They were, they, were, they were just cornered and they were like, I was younger. I was just, I shouldn't, you know, I just. I love well, that. Yeah. I love that fucking story. Totally. I, and they were like, they, I respect they owned that it. person more. I, totally. This I was is, like, awesome. They're it's like, not yeah, like it. all of us haven't lied fucking 80 <laughs> right. times in our right. lives. We all do. And it, it's a fucking horrifying and shameful act. And it's like existentially painful to us. Yeah. Right. Every time it gets brought up, it's okay to fucking admit you did it. I think that's such a cool story, it dude. It totally I just, made me respect them a lot more. I oh, was like, God, yeah. Cause I was like, eh, this doesn't seem right to me. I, and, and I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to say it to their face. And, <laughs> They were like, they totally just in that moment were like, yep, I Whoa. did it. And I was like, wow, crazy. Whoa. Thanks. And I was like, I was like, it seemed weird. They're like, it, yeah, I've, it seemed weird because it was weird. <laughs> that is so fucking cool, man. What yeah. a stand up person. Totally. You know, the truth is that I've been sitting under a route or under a boulder and been like, this fucking go is going to be it. My skin's trash and I don't send it. Maybe fall off the last move. And I'm like, it's a, a bit of it quick struggle to be like maybe i'll just say i did it how could the thought not cross your mind it has crossed my mind every climber, many you know? times and but oh, i can't man. do it because it's just right. it's not fulfilling maybe it's because i'm old school enough to be like <laughs> right i can't fucking do that man that isn't how well, i the, started the awkward in this sport. thing about that to me though is like if you're the initial reason why you're trying to climb is because you think it's fun and you want to do it and then when you with you lie then right. you can't go back and keep working. <laughs> like, but, it's done. It's but like done and you're like, crap. Well, imagine a problem that you fucking have worked for mm, a year mm. and you're so sick of going to that boulder. You definitely have a drive right. and like uh, um, you're compelled to do it, but maybe not out of like passion and joy anymore. I could, you know, I could definitely see why a pro climber would do it then because that pre like the I pressure, you're, you're, right. it's your sponsorship. It's like, Fucking certainly shouldn't be canceled for it. Just you know, take it, take Man, one on the chin, and I hope right. I hope, anywhere. I hope this liar hasn't been on the podcast. I don't know. I don't know every single person that's been on the podcast. But I don't think they have. Okay. I don't think they have. I just. He's gonna go back I'm into the library today. If we can, we go climbing sometime. I'll tell you. What? <laughs> I just can't tell you right now. Yeah, don't, don't, I don't, don't. It's I all good. I know, I understand. I won't tell anybody. Oh my god, it's, it's not so really that big of a deal. It wasn't yeah, a big, it significant ascent. It was like nothing. It was just, just kind of funny. Funny, yeah. yeah, yeah. Saeed's strikes me as a little bit of a kind of a big deal. I think Andrew Bishrat handled it really well in his mm -hmm. with his piece that he recently uh, yep. re, re uh, published on social media. Because that's fucking who knows. Boy, it strikes me that he didn't do it. Yeah. No, like reading everything about it and uh, talking to numerous people just, who know a right. lot about something it. Something shouldn't be that fucking fishy. Like right. something as so simple fishy. as climbing a route. Right. Why is it so fishy? It's like <laughs> totally. And that's the thing where I was like, you know, totally. I've I climb with a lot of strong climbers. I've seen what they can do. Not that I'm cool, but just I've seen <laughs> it done a yeah, lot yeah. before. And then you like, wait a second. I've seen this done like a hundred times. This thing is not fit with all the other hundred times like yeah, something, something is it's an, it's, it's an anomaly yeah. and you're like your spidey sense gets sure. triggered and you're yeah. like ah this is like weird and different why is that you know what is going on there i think there should be a standard for all professional climbers to have uncut footage of all their sense not maybe not all their sense but the significant ones yeah for sure. 
I don't think why not take your iPhone it's like not hard it's literally not hard That's, at all that seems <laughs> so I feel easy. like that is kind of the standard it is it, for more, that, more, which, more. which makes Saeed's a little bit right yeah exactly. exactly funky I mean we all have a phone and right. if you're gonna do something like action direct right my and god you're a professional you know if, if you're just out there doing it whatever do it and there's want. a director making a film right. about, about you climbing it right who lives 30 minutes away and, and you're really good and call. is your really good friend so like you oh god i know yeah. now have you met uh saeed nope he is one of the i must caveat this with i'm not cool as well he was a friend of a friend that i was out bouldering with him right. bishop we spent a couple days climbing with him and i would have other than his abject cruelty to the rock he was so fucking strong so graceful amazing to watch climb um but i would have never guessed he was a pro climber he was just so nice and so down to earth right. never dropped names or fucking did anything but like sit around when he felt like climbing he would just walk up and crush and wouldn't say a thing he's is the sweetest guy right so that makes it so that makes it really hard you know well, i think it, it doesn't mean just because you're really nice doesn't mean you can't lie you know nice people fucking lie my, mom, my mom lied to me she right. told me there was a santa claus she's the nicest totally. lady i know totally. everybody fucking lies right. like maybe That's, uh no, they the, all do everyone the does. saints don't everyone, yeah, does. everyone does yeah and you'll be forgiven for lying it's not that big a deal we're maybe. all it depends on what you lie about right right i didn't kill that man I that, that is Lance, a lie right. that you're gonna get Lance armstrong for. was forgiven Lance, he was did you watch done. the well, no, documentary? But I think well, he's done. You know, the biggest oh problem with God. Lance Armstrong was that he was so viciously pursuing the people who said he was lying, right? And he was just such a raging asshole that I think most people would be willing to be if he had just not not done anything, not sued people. He was so adamant about the yes. fact that he wasn't. A he liar. was being such a dick. Like, sorry, I watched dude. the. I watched the thirty for thirty, mm -hmm. and if anybody can walk away from watching that documentary without thinking Lance Armstrong is an totally unrepentant asshole. They're fucking high on drugs. Wow. <laughs> he is an absolute <laughs> dickhead and he knows it and he presents himself as it in the document. <laughs> yeah. He you owns cannot, it. He you, owns it now. Yeah. You can't walk away from that documentary being like, he is probably the greatest cyclist of all time. And he is, is a dude? awful awful vindictive grotesque person right he is an absolute ego maniacal narcissistic prick you know and that's the other thing too is that climbing attracts complicated people it's a complicated it sport yeah. and it's a complicated it's like ambiguous it's not it's like you're gonna try to climb up this you're gonna like move your body up this weird rock <laughs> in the middle of the woods and yes. so it's gonna attract oddballs and weird people and like how that gets played out. Um, it's curious. Yeah, it is curious. It's going to, yeah, it is really curious. I, what I was going to say is back to Ivan Green is like, I met Ivan. I set a comp in New York City uh, like a long time ago. Uh, and Ivan was super great. He was, he was fun to be around. He was like super nice. I don't have anything against him. I don't like that he chips, but he seemed like a nice guy. I don't know. Yeah. I like. <laughs> My experience as well. I've I've met him uh, just in passing. Mm -hmm. Super energetic. Yeah. Pretty fucking charismatic for sure. He's like a little little piston of energy. Totally. Um, Seems like he's done a lot for New York bouldering. I mean, he yeah. put up a lot of problems. Put up a lot of hard problems back in the day. 
like there was like a gunks movement like yeah yeah in the early 2000s dave came in there and like put up some hard problems and like he did a lot and the like he was an influential person in climbing but you know given and given the impact of a video of him like aggressively going after something you know it's that's that's tough and then yeah you look at joe kinder i mean man. joe kinder's <sighs> the other guy who was um canceled for sure totally canceled but man and like i, I, I he was i'm sorry but yeah that I, was I one word like, <laughs> man that one joe's the he, second time because he was canceled right. once he was. for chopping down tree. the tree right uh canceled he was gone for like two years right pretty short little uh exile on the island of elba um and then when he but when he started fucking like making fun of people's body structure right. and then S S Sasha talked to him was like, yeah, don't he, do that. That hurts my feelings. And he's like, fuck you or not. Fuck I you. don't know what he happened, was, but it just, it seems people like people talk to him on, about right. him not doing it. Right. And he continued he to, to do, do it. it. And then they were just like, our only recourse is to take this public. Right. Which is harsh. It is super harsh. I, I mean, but it's man, completely inappropriate. So inappropriate. And you're a pro climber, but I, again, I've never, Joe's always been nice to me always been fun yeah, to be even, around I haven't seen him in years but I have nothing necessarily personally against him yeah. at all he's like nice guy yeah. but like that sucks that he did that and even Sasha in her post where she was like making public she's like yeah I don't really get what's going on because Joe and I are always she's, he's always really nice to me in person right <laughs> and he's like posting these horrible things about me behind my back like, boy that was a weird one that was a weird that, I, I feel like the companies were like well I guess we gotta cancel you <laughs> Your company's had no choice. I right. mean, I don't think he got the punishment he deserves. Now, I don't, I don't believe that people need to get punished forever. We all need right. a second chance. Uh, he didn't physically hurt anybody, and right. he wasn't like malicious in a way. Uh, he was f vaguely malicious. Um, I mean, just the hatred toward women is not. That's just not okay. Yeah, you know? it's, it's just kind it's of a just, general like, kind of a broy vibe. Like, I'm just gonna hate on this woman. And like that's in the it's fucking really super weak sauce. But I my prediction is that he will be back in the public eye at some point. Joe Kinder will be. I mean, yeah, he's still he's developing still... a shitload. Um, he the, has the, made a huge contributions to climbing. I gigantic. mean, it's both of those things. You know, that's the thing. People are complicated. Climbers are complicated. It's not black and white. Joe's done in a tremendous amount for sport climbing. And like promoting the sport of climbing. And he also made a really sexist, heinous, awful, awful <laughs> woman hating post. You know, yeah. he did both of those things. Yeah. Because he's a human being and people do complicated, hypocritical, yes, counterintuitive, yeah. you know, counteractive yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. In my opinion, he deserved what he got. However, yes. at some point, I think people, my fucking uneducated guess would Sasha would be like, you apologize to me privately or whatever he's done. You're welcome back. Right. It, with me at least. And I can't speak for what kind of graciousness you're going to receive from everybody. But, uh, right. I, th I think earnestly owning your mistakes and the way to go. receiving genuine forgiveness is the only way that <laughs> literally, we can move forward you know i don't know because like we are in some crazy times right now where there is just such such ingrained resentment towards i, I, I mean this is like i don't even know what i'm saying here yeah, no keep going but like you have to 
there has to be some way of moving forward without creating a permanent divide. Right. And, uh, can't do it. And if you're, and like, like quite frankly, Joe Kinder being able to forgive Joe Kinder, (laughs) it's like, should be possible, should be okay. I think it should be okay. I mean, if you know, what's the point? We were talking about Joe Rogan and Joe is like kind of opposed to cancel culture generally. Yeah. Yeah. Like he thinks that people should be allowed to be redeemed. And I agree. Like someone shouldn't just be expelled forever. That's ridiculous. Like people make mistakes. I've made mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes all the time. It seems like Joe generally, genuinely wants to learn and grow. And that's great. You know? And I think, like you're saying, like we're in a crazy time right now. And I feel like maybe a lot of white people are feeling like they've made mistakes or they feel shame or guilt or a lot of complicated things. And like the only way to, to like address these things is to like honestly own your yeah. own feelings, honestly own your own actions or inactions and like try to move forward, try to grow, listen to people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, an acquaintance of mine posted on Facebook today and the first sentence of it was, I am a racist. Wow. It was the most powerful thing I read all day. He's like, uh, I can't say he's a white guy. Right. Um, you know, I can't say that I haven't, that I base all of the ways I feel about us, somebody on their intrinsic qualities. Right. I can I, I have to be honest with my, it was so fucking powerful. And it, it was so refreshing. I can't imagine how scared he was to hit the send button. But we all. But like, who was really scared? How scared have black people been in the United States oh, for 400 fuck, years? Give me a break, of terrified, course. You know? Of, right. Yeah, just like, since 1619, it's like, been all fear and fucking. Like, sometimes when I hear or, about white people feeling uncomfortable, and not that I don't feel uncomfortable, because I do a lot of times, but. I'm like, oh, you feel uncomfortable? God, that's a great point. (laughs) Does it feel uncomfortable when someone puts a knee on your neck? That's such a good point, dude. That is such a fucking good point. Like, tough life that you're so uncomfortable. They have to wear a mask in the store. I I know. (laughs) Not to conflate that. I mean, we, we, we talked about this a little bit before we even started recording, but just the, the, you know, the stuff that's going on around us, like the whole coronavirus and then, you know, fucking police brutality and racism just sometimes it's it's it is kind of funny to think about how uh when you act like everything is okay you can just put so much you can focus so much uh energy into like like the 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 comp like the difficult things in climbing you know or like pad stashing like it, it like right that's the big like that's the big problem that know? we can see yeah that, that, that we can our, feel like we're entitled in ourselves that we can sit here and have a conversation about that's our problem yeah exactly it's just we're so fucking privileged to do that i mean the, but the truth is the first thing i said to you was and I should have worded it differently because it was off-putting, but I was like, no. I have found trouble getting motivated for this interview. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> because we're all in this I can't fucking think about... Time. This has been super... It's actually ref- been really nice to so take a break. So fucking refreshing. I can't, all yeah. I do all day long, and Feedy worked with me uh, two days ago, and what did I have on the phone all day long CNN. was news. I know. It's all I do. 
all I do is read political books right. and fucking go down and protest in Denver. Right? We went down the protest too. It's so yeah. powerful. It is so fucking people just buzzing on the with ground, energy. We saw people laying on the ground for nine minutes yeah. saying, yeah. I can't breathe. Yeah. I can't breathe. Like stunning. I was like blown away. This like, time it's unbelievable. seems different. I hope to God it is. Right. Right. It is a heavy time. It is. We, I've, I haven't had much human contact, so it's nice yes. to like have yeah, contact nice to, with you. I think yeah. we're part of what we're talking here is just like to sit around with other climbers and talk. It just been, revel in a conversation about climbing. We have not been able to do that because we've oh, been, God, so let's nice. acknowledge that we've all been completely overwhelmingly absorbed with everything that's been going yes. on. The trauma of this country. The trauma. It is trauma. The trauma of our legacy as white supremacists basically yeah <laughs> right yeah I mean, just it, 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 in the ownership that fucking we have to take on that too right i own it i fucking haven't been a perfect race relations person in my life i mean it's just true every like, fucking white person i know can say that yeah. the fact that like for years i'm just off climbing and not paying like i don't not need to pay any attention. attention i mean paying some attention but not in any kind of real not way investing or investing your not invest, intellectual yeah. right. power in it. Yeah. it right. Just it, like, Oh, that's fucking terrible. Wow. That's so awful. That, that then, happened. Cool. Well, next boulder problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, Cli yeah. Climbing has felt since, um, maybe the beginning of March or no, maybe mid March climbing has felt just fucking a hundred percent superfluous to me. Mm -hmm. Like I have so much trouble motivating like to get really motivated to climb. I'll still climb on the home wall. Went outside for the first time since the pandemic hit a couple right. weeks ago. But all I can think about is like the coronavirus and police brutality, especially with these uh, fucking protests. And now you're just like, yeah, that's why they were taking a knee. You can see it on fucking TV now. Right. You stupid fucking cretins. Oh, God. I, you can, it's now, it's every single night, every city with batons and necks and women getting thrown down and people shoving fucking tear gas canisters in a protester's backpack. Right. Like, fuck those I, fucking vile cops. Right. I I think, you know, God, it's, it's, it, it's, it sucks to see businesses destroyed no one really wants to see that. I agree. But the killing of innocent black people by police officers absolutely has to stop. And it is on us to like, you know, we are complicit. We're like, yeah, eh, I don't want it's that goes on some other part of town. We don't have to deal with it, you know. Yeah. I'm gonna go climbing. Yeah. I think it's it's really putting it in a in a way that hasn't happened before because we talked about the ninety two riots. Yeah. That it was forefront with Rodney King. But it's it's something is a little different. It feels like this time, which is the Rodney, hopefully... the Rodney King stuff felt like, you know, when something happens in like glitzy L.A. in the early '90s, that just felt like a different reality, right? Because I really remember the Rodney King riots, and they were just so awful. And the Rodney King beating was awful. That was also strange, horrendous, like, just fucking grotesque. And then all the cops got off. Um, this seems a lot different. It does. Seeing somebody die. It is. That video is disgusting. I can't. I one of the I worst. Finished it. I've seen a lot of weird, awful things on the internet, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that is one of the worst things I've ever seen. It is humanity deflating out of yes. the soul. It's, it is just awful. Ugh. What? A, well, 
with mean, it, it, juxtaposed with just absolute callousness. Like you just see so fucking hand in his pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Just utter like no, and just utter callousness. Well, and also it's just like you can tell that that cop, like he is He's almost enjoying it. He is. He is almost like. He's like, you want to film me? Fine. Like, fuck you guys. I'm not gonna oh, listen to what you say. I don't he have seems to... to lean into. Yeah, the... he's like, I don't need like you. Like, I don't have to listen to you guys. I don't know. Is there something about that cop that's just like, dude? Clearly, this person is in is dying, and you're just acting like, yeah, he's right, like fucking it's... straight up murder. Right. Um, oh god, what was I just gonna say? One of the um. One of the interesting things that makes this time different is that the fallout that we're seeing is exemplifying all of the problems. I remember just two or three years ago that are during Obama's presidency, there were fucking like debates about the term systemic racism. Right. Do you remember those totally. kind of floating around the internet? Nobody really like, got like to the system wide. Like right. But now. Right. Everything that is happening to to cover up, to quell loud voices, is all just entering case proof after case proof that it's systemic. Like the fucking coroner in Minneapolis saying, oh, he died of a precondition. (laughs) And then another coroner (laughs) that was hired by the family is like, no, it's asphyxiation and getting his back crushed. You watch, yeah, it's like, (laughs) and then the fucking DA, the Minneapolis DA wouldn't fucking indict the other three cops. So Keith Ellison, the fucking attorney general of a state has to step in and he was fucking late, but he had to step in and be like, I mean, obviously they're complicit in murder. Right. So everything we're seeing now is just further exemplifying the problems that people have been been denying. Like when people say, oh, there isn't that much police brutality. Look at every fucking city in America. What is happening to black brown people in protest? I mean, we we were down there. It was a peaceful protest. It was eight yeah, o'clock absolutely. was a curfew. Yeah. We were there at four o'clock. They got tear. I mean, not that I'm some victim, but they tear gassed the crowd. It's like yeah. innocent people protesting and you're tear gassing them. It's like this. It's unbelievable. The military is in DC. Now what fucking dystopian <laughs> nightmare are we living hour, in? Right. Yeah. We could do a four hour podcast yeah. about it. So Jamie, when's uh, the <laughs> second edition coming out? Good question. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What you know what? I've always thought that your segues were yeah. let's just perfect. let's just float back into that like <laughs> Well, we should wrap it up here. Yeah, we should yeah, I have to actually work tomorrow, so yeah. uh, <laughs> not that privilege, buddy. Well, I'm glad we at least touched on that shit. Yeah. Because it's you can't, you can't not ta- talk about it. It is, for all of us, I think, probably top of mind. Yeah. And yeah. we've been immersed in it. And this has been a moment of, <sighs> we can take a breather and talk about climbing. Yeah. I I am scared when I get pulled over. Like, I, it makes me nervous and uncomfortable to deal with the police. Yes. I don't like it. I cannot imagine what someone who is not white deals with. Like the 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 doubt that is the, like exactly dude, right. my car is full of climbing shit. It's like there's like rappers. It's like a mess, and I'm like, my tags are expired, and the cops like, oh, see your tags are expired. Well, let's run your plates. Oh yeah, well, well, you know, go get those taken care of. Here's yeah. your warning. Here's your warning, and I'm scared, and I cannot imagine how someone feels when you're reaching for they, your wallet, you get shot. Like I'm like I'm reaching through a pile of like 
climbing shoes and chalk and like, oh, let me see if I can pull my registration out. What someone must go through. It is unreal. That is like, like I feel scared and it's nothing. Like I'm not scared that I'm going to get shot at all. Yeah. It's a level that that you can't comprehend. I can't even comprehend. Neither can I. And that is like ridiculous amounts of privilege. Yeah. You can never say it's in my life, you know? Yeah. You can never say as a white person, like I understand the pain you're going through. Right. Cause you don't, I don't, you can only have empathy and you can only have place yourself in a, in a position to be an ally and and always and listen, you know, just just fucking, yeah. Shut up and listen. What? Yeah. And read. Right. Study, you know, and try to better yourself and improve that shit. I fucking have a long ways to go. Right. We all do. We all do. Oh man. Well, I think, uh, the unfortunate thing about all of it, I think it's going to be a, a long, hot, like, yeah, nineteen seventy eight New York style summer. Totally. I don't think we're getting out of this one for a long time. <laughs> Not with uh, the leadership that we currently, the lack of leadership that we currently have <sighs> at, a, at a national, and it's even depressing. just even at a, a statewide, nationally elected position like senators, we have no fucking guidance. We have no leadership, and we have no pole star of morality. We they, can't fucking rely on. Why aren't you doing a political podcast? I dream of turning this into a political podcast <laughs> all the time. It's all I do. Like I climb and I fucking read and politics. try to study about politics. Right. It's all I fucking do and write about climbing poorly. Uh, but this this was like, you're right, dude. What a gift. It, 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 it totally went over my head right. how fucking happy I was this entire Just time talking talk about, about this. climbing because I haven't done it in like two months. You yeah, know? me need, <laughs> Even us, we get together every three oh. weeks to do this. Right. But since the George Floyd murder, it I felt just... E- Breonna e- Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, countless other, countless other people. Right. Jesus Christ. I just hundreds. In the, the hundreds upon hundreds yeah. well, who didn't have a fucking camera handy. Right. Who was buried in some fucking police yeah, log. Yeah, in the 60s and 70s and people that names will never know. You know? Never, ever know just died because they were resisting arrest quote, right. quote unquote resisting arrest when the reality is there's a fucking racist cop who's a you know our cops we're raising cops who have spent the last two decades at war we live we are in a, a society a culture of fucking warfare right we're still at war militarized all, police all, militarized police all of these all of these vets come back and god bless them i'm not saying you're not a good person i'm not saying all cops are bad but there's a lion's share of these cops, a, a fucking wide swath of cops who come back, who have been militarized. They know how to take orders. They know how to give orders. They're not afraid of death and blood and fear and terror. And they say, what could I do well? I could be a cop. And they spend less time at a police academy than a fucking chef does to go to culinary school. It's crazy. And then they hit the roads with weaponry that the military gives them because they have no longer, they don't have use for it anymore. And they have a contract with police stations to give them. So we have these, fu- geez. So about the V 14, I wanted to know. I agree. We should, we should wrap this up. Yeah, we got to, um, the guidebook. It's yeah, probably going to come think? out. Oh yeah. We're hoping that it will be out next early next spring. Cool. Oh, sweet. Nice man. How much more work do you have to do on it? Quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest, well, Lincoln Lake is really, I really want to make Lincoln Lake perfect. It's very challenging. It's very hard. Um, 
like you go once or twice and you get a tour and you know where everything yes. is and like there'll be a big part of the guidebook that is just describing problems mm -hmm. so that if you want to go to rebellion for the first time mm -hmm. you'll know where it starts that kind of stuff but for someone who's never been there trying to get them to rebellion is really challenging and that's yes. my intention as a guidebook author to, to assume that you've never been to this area before and so that's I'm trying to basically write the guide. There's a lot of text in the first guidebook about getting to people, for example, the upper chaos, mm -hmm. which once you go once, you know where it is. Yeah. But there's five or six pages in the guidebook or four or five pages in the guidebook that are devoted towards getting someone from the parking lot Dude, to upper chaos. No, it, it's incredibly complicated. And then like the, that when you're in the Talus, right. Like literally you're just like, I at, at Lincoln. Lincoln is particularly, you get so lost. You right. get so lost. Like you're like, I know I'm like, in this area, but everything looks... And there's that vertigo factor yeah. where you're like, is it up there? Right. Or yes. down there? Like, it isn't just a flat well, plane. <laughs> and, like, I've spent 10 years now bouldering at Lincoln Lake, and I've probably spent, like, 15 days just walking around the Talus Field <laughs> trying to really... Like, so 10 years of, like, climbing yeah. there all the time, trying to climb as many problems as I can, et cetera, et cetera. And then spending another 15 days of just going there to, like, learn it. Yeah, which is the best way to get to point Dude, A to point B. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, just think about, like, if you had someone at the top of Lincoln Lake in that parking, that right right near the trailhead, to describe to them, like, how to get to Rebellion. Right. <laughs> right. Pretty much impossible, I would say. <laughs> but I don't I think know. I, I think I have it, so. Yeah. yeah. It's close. We'll look forward to it, man. Yeah. I'm I can't looking fucking to being, wait. It's such a ridiculous undertaking. Yeah, and you're doing it again. What's wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> I have this weird obsession weird that I cannot compulsion. let go of. Yeah, I have obsessive compulsive disorder and I can't <laughs> let go of it. And so I need to put it somewhere productive. You're so the best guy for the job. Thank you, I mean, Dave. That's Appreciate all that. there is to that. Um, thanks well, for coming yeah, on. Thanks dude. for being our first in person guest. Oh, really? In months. In months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Since the coronavirus. Since the coronavirus. Hit. Dang. You're the Since first March. One. Early March. It was really yeah. pleasurable to sit down and talk to you guys. Oh, it was so much. Thanks fun, for having dude. me on. I knew it would be fun. Yeah. It was our pleasure. There's so much more, too, we could talk about. <laughs> oh, dude. We should have started it at 1 in the afternoon. We'd be here. I'd be late. Down in the city where the wind patterns change. Blowing around the buildings all tall and strange. You know, my... <laughs> um, one of my favorite things about this interview was how okay with change jamie was yeah i really like that a lot because i think it's way too easy to become the curmudgeon who's like climbing's changed blah blah x insert x has changed and like it used to be better jamie is out there rolling with the punches totally <laughs> and i think that's so important because he's right it's everything is always changing and it will never always be the same because if it was always the same that would be kind of lame too to be h and another thing, if he doesn't like how it's changing, he will talk about it, but he'll offer he'll also offer yeah. a solution. Yes. It's not just pissing Thank and moaning him. when it comes Thank, to yeah. Jamie Emerson. He has like uh reflected on all of these issues for twenty five years. Yeah. And like he, he you know, if he's disgruntled, he can be like, Well, this is this is the evolution of a sport. And Dude, if I we want to make it better, let's talk about solutions. It was so funny to me Love when it. he brought up uh recognizing me and and Roy. Yeah. Because for me, I also knew who he was. And I was so, I was like, God damn it. Like, 
we're around like one of the first essential like one of the first people doing a lot of developing here it's literally one of the craziest weekends i've seen here i'm a part of a gigantic crew and i just felt so he must hate me i was like deep inside i was like god i'm like the worst and (laughs) honestly like i still kind of just personally feel like i don't necessarily always like to be a part of a group like that because i do feel like it's just it's a burden on the area but you know you sometimes it happens which is parasite gonna be a parasite dog yeah and um but no he was talking he's like oh yeah no it's fine (laughs) yeah he doesn't care (laughs) um so we were super i hope you guys like that one thank you jamie so much we are definitely gonna have him back on there's so much we didn't talk about there's so much and i mean we talked for an hour outside of that interview probably over an hour probably two hours he was at our house he was at the house till 11 we talked for an hour before we started recording about an hour after and then about an hour after we can't divulge those talks i wish we had recorded those things but those some things are better left for (laughs) we got a little gossipy Uh, yeah it was awesome Uh, i loved it and um look at me go anyways um we're looking at Feedy's dog lounging in the sun. We're outside so because happy. the coronavirus is still here and likely yeah, to come f- back with a fucking force in some areas. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that anymore. We're going to cut. We're going to. That was a really long episode. So let's just call it. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of us, as always, we're on Instagram at the Thundercling. Boom. And we uh, if you want to write us an email, we are at www. Well, it's not www. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> thunderclingpodcast yeah, at gmail. gmail.com. And uh, actually, yeah, we have gotten some really great messages that Dave and I both need to respond to. Yeah, um, sorry. Oh, but, can, can I take it over here for a second? Yeah. We also have like um, three articles in the hangar right now waiting to be edited by me. And I want to apologize personally to all you guys. It has been... It's been a lot. It, it's been a lot. Um over these last couple months and my my mind is is definitely not focusing as it should be on this podcast Which so is fine. sorry this is a little bit late sorry i haven't i like sincerely i'm sorry i haven't gotten back to um editing those pieces yeah we'll get them out I, okay that's fine our brains are um pulsating with not wanting to think about this stuff right now and to continue to struggle with our current reality. So we're going to let you go, but I hope you guys enjoyed that brief reprieve and we'll be back in a few weeks. If you guys have any suggestions, um, feedback of a guest that you'd like to hear. Did we we say anything you think is problematic? I want to hear. Yeah. I want to talk about it. I'm open. I'm open. The door is open. Dave and I were talking about this. We, we have to be okay with getting criticized for things we say, because otherwise we'll never evolve or learn from what, from from anything <laughs> don't criticize me for saying fuck the police yeah. um because i'm not going to take that because why do i have to feel compelled to automatically respect somebody i don't i don't have yeah. to automatically respect anybody you have to de- earn my respect that's fair I you think. have to deserve my respect and the difference between protesters you see and cops is everybody's like, ah, you know, right-wingers are like, ah, these fucking Antifa people and these troublemakers and hoodlums and rioters and as Trump called them, thugs. You know what? The thing about protesters is that we don't wear the same uniform. We don't swear an oath. Everybody out on that street has 
a similar but disparate agenda, mm-hmm. right? Some people are uh, protesting yeah, um, in the streets right now for Black Lives Matter. Some people for all, all like the wide breadth of police brutality. Some for yes. just massive race inequality. Some people are protesting against Trump. Some people are protesting X, Y, and Z. So, but here's the thing about the cops. They all wear the same uniform. They all wear the same badge. They all swear the same oath and go to the same school. One protester does not represent another protester, but one cop represents all police, period. If you put on a uniform and you wear a badge and you swear an oath, you have to roll with the punches that the worst of you is going to represent who you are. Yeah. In more lighthearted Do news, it. I've been helping I've been helping Dave oh. with his work. It's been beautiful. My day job. Yeah. We've been remodeling a a unit. A really shitty <laughs> apartment. And it's been great. That's right. Feedy did some drywalling today, yeah. did some caulking, did some base work. Yeah. It's great. Hit I tiled the shower. If you guys want Thunderkling remodels. Yeah, very expensive, but we do it naked. We yes, the whole time. I I think the, the guy in there doing the cabinets. I don't think yeah. he liked seeing your floppy ass like no cruising around. But that's his that's his problem. I mean, it's not our problem. We also I don't really understand this part, but we seal all the doors and windows, so it just gets really hot in there. We yeah, it's slippery. Turn on the grinder and get it yeah. nice and smoky in there. Yeah, Dave. oh god. Okay, that's it. Okay, guys, we will be back. Um, we're we not going to be back in two weeks. I guarantee it. It's yeah. too. There's too much shit to think about and yeah. uh, do as global citizens right now. Yeah. But our um, next guest is going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, we do have somebody maybe in the hopper. But if you guys have some suggestions that would be germane to our time and struggle, we would certainly be open to hearing those. And uh, we'd love to get some feedback on who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. Other than that, that's all she wrote. We'll see you in about three weeks. Don't make Be well, be safe, be an ally. Yeah. And fucking climb as much as possible to decompress from this year that has amazingly lasted 15 years. (laughs) It's almost Somehow, yeah. November 3rd's coming quick. Think about who you're going to vote for. Bad news comes in threes. Well, let's hope so. Wait, does that mean one more thing is coming? Yeah, we are. Fuck. (laughs) All right. Well, prepare yourself for the third. We will see you guys on the flippity flop.